Hello, and welcome to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I'm one of your hosts, John McMahon, and joining me across the desk for the last time, maybe not the last time, she sent me a postcard. It says, Lenny should have visited Pulaski at night. It's Regan Levitt. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Definitely not the last time I'll ever be on Not Quite Great Books, <laughs> but our last Young Pope podcast. Our last Young Pope podcast. We um, made it. We, we did. You made it. Hey, look, Ma, we made it. <laughs> we can call her Ma now. It's okay. We can call her Ma now. <laughs> so we made it to episode 10. Yeah. What um, an episode. What an episode. We'll do a lots, lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. We got some bonus saint names to try yes. out. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff. So we should probably get going. I think so. All right. Young Pope, episode 10. No more reaction to my Andrew Bird intro for you. <laughs> you text me last night and say that's one of your favorite songs, and I build an entire intro around it. <laughs> You know, I was expecting a little bit more, to be quite honest. I had a workshop No, I one. loved it. <laughs> um, having heard the other intros, I, um, I, maybe I, I don't know, maybe I think you... It wasn't as funny of an intro. That was like no. the heartfelt, I care about Regan's uh, deep, like, aesthetic taste intro. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I, us- I was, I think I was expecting the funny intro. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so The Young Pope, episode 10. Yes, directed by Paolo Sorrentino, written by Umberto Cantarella, Paolo Sorrentino, and Pepe Fiore. This podcast was recorded during the 2023 WGA and SAG After Strikes, and without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, this show would not exist, and we would not have the young Pope to talk about. Regan, what's our IMDb summary this week? It is. As he deals with the Kurtwell case and demands of Catholic and the demands of Catholics, the Pope makes an important decision, while Sister Mary is given a new mission. All right. So I wanted to say, like, let's just go straight to the end of the episode. And right. Regan probably correctly said we should have a theme and some structure. Yes. So I'm going to turn this one over to you. Okay. Right. The writing teacher here. <laughs> My task is to keep us structured and on pace. Yeah. So two um, things I famously fail at. So you're. Well, it's a. It's a good combo here. Uh, now I know. I guess I'll be coming to your classes more often this semester. Okay. I can teach my students structure and pacing. M- my structure is better in writing than it is in podcasts. Right. That's true of the literal entire world and all 30-year-old white men, 30-something white men who have podcasts. Okay. All so. right. Well, anyways, um, so what, what we came up with together was John had thought this episode was a lot about childhood, and I thought it was about growth, and those things kind of go together. They sure do. Um, so... Um, mid about midway through the episode, um, Lenny actually calls this out in a discussion with Sister Mary. Um, he also has this sort of discussion also with Sophia and with Gutierrez. He does it in, of course, a very Lenny way, which is a very bizarre way. Um, but he says, you know, he needs to. Re- he says that he needs to reassign in his conversation with Gutierrez early in the episode. He needs to reassign Sister Mary because. He is no longer the child pope. He's the man pope. The child pope has become a man. Yes. He had needed a mother, and now he needs a colleague, which yes. is quite the like bizarre like life stage analysis of the pope in general, orphans, and of Lenny. But also, like, I think it's just a very like blunt way of putting it. Of mm-hmm. like, I think a lot about this for young professionals, and as someone who you know is just thirty. Um, and recognizes, like, there's a big difference between mentorship and colleagueship, right? Like, I mean, I think I spent... One thing that was really difficult for me when I was a graduate student, and I feel 
like this is the most I've ever related to Lenny was mm. I was still in like an undergrad mode where they're yeah. still kind of kids. Like mm-hmm. absolutely, brain is still developing. Brain, yeah. yeah, right. They're still cooking. Yeah. Um, as I told my, I literally told my students that for my summer class um, <laughs> that their brains are still cooking and they're still going through puberty and the freshman of fifteen does happen that, but that's because they're still growing. Um, and that <laughs> was with the end call of that discussion. But this is something I think about as I have grown and kind of gone, okay, do I need mentorship out of people in my life or do I need colleagueship? Yeah. And it's a, t- it's a point in being where like how you relate to people. Like I think if we had met earlier on in my career here at SUNY Plattsburgh, we would have a very different relationship. Mm-hmm. Like when I had come in at about at 27, I would have more wanted like mentorship out of you as a person yeah. who is like in my court at work versus we more met when I was 29 and more established. Mm-hmm. And it's more that we have a friendship if yeah. anything else. Yeah, I agree with that. Rather than... From the knowing you at 29 part, yeah. Yeah. Rather than like other... Uh, do I have mentor relationships here at work? Yes. It depends on who they're with mm-hmm. though. So I... As far as when it comes to like... We asked this question of like, does Lenny grow over the course of this season? I think yes. Okay. I think this is the episode where we see the growth because there's been one several time jumps. It's now Christmas time. I think it's clear that he is showing like, and he's been through like two deaths and um, has really seen a lot of change. And I think also it comes out in that he's much gentler. Like even when he is interacting with like the little, the kids in the episode, like. I call that gentle. That is a vastly different Lenny than the Lenny from episode two. Well, I think it's more that we get both Lennies. Mm. We get when it's the initial interaction with the whole groups of children. He, like, scares the shit out of them by saying Mm. that God is mad at them and because the rain is Jesus' tears because (laughs) they were bad. Right? That's, like, (laughs) day two Lenny. Yeah. But then when he uh, sits down next to the child looking at the same painting that Lenny has been looked at so many times in this Mm. season, or when he, like, smiles at those two kids sleep taking a nap, like, on the bed. Um, that's the maybe new Lenny. I'm actually a little bit more skeptical of the Lenny has grown, okay. but I want to hear more. So I just think that he, like, the way he one reacts about how Gutierrez comes out to him also shows, like, growth and, like, oh, okay, like, some thought put into this. Um, I think that he's become gentler. I think he's still, like, a megalomaniac. <laughs> but he's become tempered because his worldview has been rocked. Yeah. Um, by? By Andrew dying, by Spencer dying, by, like, just the difficulties I think he's faced as being the Pope. Um, constantly also having, like, hallucinations. Um, I think that he has grown. Yeah. I'm not saying it's, like, amazing, tremendous growth and he's a good person now. Yeah. But I do think he's showing growth. I think what this does is raise an interesting question about, like, in this, we could frame it very parochially in terms of this podcast or, like, focus on the show itself. But I am was much more sympathetic towards Lenny at the beginning of the season, in part because, like, I know where he ends up, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen it before than I think you were. And in some ways, like, I think we end up at about the same place, but for different reasons. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily find Lenny any more sympathetic as a character at the end than I do at the beginning Mm. because I've always found him a sympathetic character to some extent Mm. and in some ways I think what is notable is that I'm not 100% sure he has grown unless we define grown as being willing to accept some of like the banal platitudes right is the phrase he gives if I remember correctly to Mm. the um to the 
uh, Popes of Christmas Past that he right. meets in this episode in his vision or whatever. Because the, like... And this gets into the goodness sort of debate that he has with a couple different characters in this episode, right? Kind of with Sofia, mm -hmm. definitely with Gutierrez, definitely with Aguirre, um, where he talks about how goodness on its own is just exhibitionism. And that's mm. kind of what he's been opposed to, unless it's goodness with imagination. Right. And he's had a lot of imagination. And I think in some ways, like, he tips more into the goodness for goodness's sake in this episode. Mm, okay. Um, okay. Although, like, still his speech, I mean, we'll get to his speech, like, does require some imagination to, yeah. like, put all of this through the Blessed Juana. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, I think the, for me, though, I think it's that he does call it out, and then he also, like, gets what he wants in some ways, in a way that Systemary recognizes, because he finds it, because Systemary actually asks him, like, can I call you Lenny now, or can I go back to calling you Lenny, and he... Right. Turns on his head and says, can I call you Ma? And she uh -huh. says, of course you can call me Ma. Is that growth or regression for Lenny? I actually think it's growth because okay. I think he's acknowledged. I think that she's letting him do that because he's figured some shit out. Mm -hmm. You know, he came, he came to her as such a broken person. And he still is. Absolutely. And she's finally acknowledging like that it's okay to give him what he wants. Because I think she's, she's well aware of who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Andrew did not come to her in such a broken way, for example, um, and also came needing a mother, whereas Lenny had just been rejected by his and she didn't want to be associated with like the rejection. Yeah. Right. And this is also kind of him, uh, I think, coming around to the fact that you can have lots of forms of families um, because he's he's admitted in this episode that he's not going to search out his parents. Right. Um, even if they are still alive, which right. I think th that I think is the biggest marker of growth for him is that he's like, we're good. Don't need this. I, can, I think I might contest that as well. He literally can't at the last minute as the planes on the tarmac canceled the trip to Guatemala mm. so that he can go to Venice after he's had a conversation with Sister Mary and with Voyello okay. about the like question of should he search for his parents? Would they want to? even meet him in the first place right mm. like so I'm I don't again I don't know if like he has changed that much I think it's more that he has he's from the beginning emphasized his orphan status mm -hmm. and I think if there's a change it's that he has not accepted but like learned to cope deal and channel his mm. feelings over being an okay. orphan and how that's interacted with the rest of his life but I'm not sure that like there's been any and this, I'm not saying this should be the goal for a person. I don't think Lenny has, like, overcome, like, the harms he understands himself to have experienced by being an orphan. Mm. I don't think that's there. Okay. I don't. Okay, okay. I mean, I don't think that he's, like, done with growth, but he's also maybe dead. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'll be asking you that question like, later. So, don't worry. <laughs> all right. So, I don't know, but I think when he finally... I think the fact that Sister Mary is like, yes, you can do this, I think shows something. I mean, you can still go back on what you want, but he's, like, definitely come to terms with, like, the fact that he can have multiple forms of family. Who else would he, do you think he would count as part of his family? Oh, I think Gutierrez, yeah. for sure. Is his, is his brother, is his Andrew Um, I would say Gutierrez is maybe, like, a cousin. Okay. Um, I would say Andrew's certainly brother and that he's finally, uh, he definitely has acknowledged that many times. Gutierrez has, or pardon me, um, Spencer as a father figure for sure. Yeah. I think he's also accepted Voyello in some ways this episode. Look, I Maybe mean, it's like his weird uncle. Yeah. I mean, look, they're literally like plane, 
pool together like buds. Something I would do with my uncle. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, I think he's... And he also mentions, like, you know, what a lovely family Voyello has. Um, and it, like, seems quite content at that moment. Yeah. Um, which I thought... I thought it was one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. I think part of this question is a question of, like, whether the show in general does one of two things and whether, like what kind of art one is more interested in. Like, are we more interested Mm. in art about how and why people change or how and why people stay the same despite a desire to change? Mm. And in some ways, I tend to be more interested in the latter as an emotional experience of, like, engaging in fiction, TV, film, art, whatever, Mm. than I do the former. Okay. And maybe that's, like, uh, biasing my reading of The Young Pope. Okay. See, I'm more interested in growth, but again, that's my training in English. Where we need to see like the thing come full circle and the plot resolve. Um, so I don't know. I think we're seeing some some change in Lenny. Yeah, for and sure. Again, and, I, and I want to, and that leads me to want to say I don't think that because Lenny didn't grow, or I don't think he grew to the same extent that you did, like that makes the show any lesser. In some ways, I think the way that Lenny has not changed makes the show better than if it was an easy or simple change. Mm. And I I don't think you're saying it was an easy or simple change or like that stuff is resolved, right? Just I think that like the show is willing to dig into how Lenny, but also some of the people around him, like Voyello, I think, although Voyello changes a lot over the course of the season too. um, I think like Voyello is a more sympathetic character by the end, probably to a first time viewer than the beginning. Oh, definitely. I think that the show is better for the fact that Lenny for the, the ways that it lets itself depict how Lenny has not changed. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. How do you think... So let's... We should talk more about the Gutierrez conversation yes. that he has. Right. Um, a, I believe you would like it pointed out that you are vindicated in your rectory predictions, and we'll celebrate yes. that again yes. a little bit later on. Um, that, you know, I, I knew that he was... Um, I had the... You know, I had picked out details that he was homosexual and he had been sexually abused. Yeah. And that was why Lenny selected him to go on the case. Um, I thought that was such an interesting way to come out. And I loved, like, his little... I mean, it was a very short monologue about, like, why you should not lump pedophilia into homosexuality because it's violence versus love and they're Mm -hmm. completely different. Mm -hmm. And I was, like... I thought that was very moving as someone in the queer community to hear a priest say that absolutely i mean he's acting sure but i would love to like just record snippets of it and post it on facebook and see what happens look i would i would javier camara can like come say any line to me whenever and like <laughs> i mean I, he's so good in this episode he's yeah he's whether, whether he's speaking or whether he is silent he's yes, so good he is in this absolutely killing it and i think that that particular moment i mean it makes me think of something that like We've joked and seriously discussed the way the show is interested in, like, Eros Thanatos' sex mm-hmm. and death. And, like, mm-hmm. that's obviously mm-hmm. a, a running gag on the Not Quite Great Books podcast more right. broadly. Right. But in that particular conversation, you're calling our attention to the fact that there's this extreme separation between love and violence. Mm-hmm. That a character with whom we are is more audience identification and audience sympathy coded, like Gutierrez, in the his words, right? And that, I think, is meant to, like let us in on the fact that Paul Sartino, the other writers, right, the folks involved in this show, like, are not just a sex and death like Eris and Otto's go together. They're interested in more, like, capacious understandings of these things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, and I think it's just, it, it was so good to hear someone stand up to Lenny yes. also in a really productive way. Yes. Versus like, you know, a lot of like backhand stuff. So I think I took, also took away from it, like what a lovely lesson on like being honest with others. Mm-hmm. And honest um, with people who hold power over you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I think back to, it's like, I don't know, maybe episode three or four. And we talked about how Kalta Nasetta was like the only person who had a truly honest and direct confrontation with Lenny. Mm-hmm. And we celebrated that in the moment. Right. And now here we are, we've seen Gutierrez and this as well connects back to our discussion on the previous episode of Gutierrez's time in New York is like a quest narrative also as a self-discovery right. narrative, right? Like he gained a confidence to um, like accost Kurtwell. He mm-hmm. gained the confidence here then to confront Lenny mm-hmm. in this direct, like almost peer to peer way amid a relationship that shot through with hierarchy, mm-hmm. which Lenny is even calling attention to in the very conversation, the hierarchical right. nature of that relationship. Right. And still like Gutierrez has this confrontation with him. Right. Um, and I just thought it was like a good full circle also to be able, I mean, can you imagine being Gutierrez who was abused as a youth, like get, have, have his quest be completed to complete this investigation successfully. Yeah. And to have some form of punishment dealt on on him, which we'll talk about mm-hmm. in a bit. But I thought, what a lovely wrap-up to Gutierrez's arc. It's good to see him kind of outside working with Lenny. Like, I kind of love that they were also hanging socks. Look, we've it's the second time we've Lenny has actually done a bit of domestic labor I'm as the it. ultimate daddy. So I'm here for yeah. it. So um, I think this leads us into Kurtwell nicely. Absolutely. Would we call this like a just punishment of being sent to exile to Ketchikan, Alaska? Well, I think Lenny continues to pick Ketchikan because it's the catch caught pun. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, as we looked up, it's a lovely seaside town um, full of colorful buildings in their shipping bay yeah. um, and harbor. Um, it's, ve- it's very close to Vancouver Island. Um, and so not the frozen tundra we've seen. <laughs> um but it seems like he put someone there to be to be reminded of, like, you got caught. There, it is a moment of growth if we, like, go with that idea. Yeah. Because, like, Oza Lynch, like, talked bad about Lenny behind his back, right? Kurtwell caused actual harm to a large number of people, right? right. So, like, if we, if Ketchikan is, like, Lenny's form of punishment, he was, and here's a moment of growth, like, instead of punishing somebody for bullshit, it's punishing somebody for something right. real. Right. Um, and I, I don't know if it's full comeuppance. Um, I think, um, being banished to Ketchikan, Alaska as an old man with Parkinson's is going to be rough. Yeah. But I think the greater punishment would be excommunication or like if there's any crime, I would say like deserves some jail time. It's pedophilia or the abuse, abusive children. Um, that would have been, I think what I would have liked to see. Why do you think Lenny doesn't excommunicate him? Well, I think for Lenny, it's also, one, he's old and sick, um, would not do well with that. Um, He also is removing him from a situation where he has so much access to so many children. Like, Queens is a large borough, and there's a lot of access there. He's in a position of power where he can be in as many churches as he wants, getting a hold of any child that he wants. Versus Ketchikan is 8,000 people, much smaller population of children, 
Um, and also probably a warrior community. I mean, as pe- we live in a small town, and it is a town that is constantly fussed about like strangers coming up to others or influx of new people. Like there, there's some um, amount of skepticism and boundary in a small town that would make it much harder for him to to do that. Yeah, I guess kind of my I think that's mostly right, but like it's tempered by the if it's a small and out of the way place. Yes, the like community sort sur- like surveillance of Kurwell might be higher, but the institutional structure surveillance, which failed utterly over and over again for literally decades in the Catholic right. Church, like can fail even more if he's out of the way and off to the side and not at a place that's being paid attention to. But I'm also thinking about the like, okay, you have a lot of indigenous people in Alaska, yeah. and like if there's a missionary component to that, then we also know like violence and sexual violence against indigenous people is mm-hmm. like a quite common phenomena. So like right. there's there's that part as well that tempers it. Right. So And then the other thing I would also say is that it also removes him like to remove him and excommunicate him, like we know that appearances matter for Lenny. That's been a huge theme yeah. throughout the series. If he excommunicates someone, I think he's thinking too hard also about like what does that mean for the church? Because he's going hard line and while it would be still great publicity for the church, does it ultimately serve him and what he wants to create? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So that would—that's kind of my other thought—is that he, if it doesn't look like he could say anything, kind of depends. Yeah, I think there's also a moment where Lenny's kind of strident demeanor serves his purposes in relationship to Kurtwell, right. because I think he. Does when does want and on some level genuinely has some tinge of sympathy for Kurtwell's narrative, which I would point out is a quite different narrative than the one that we got from Kurtwell about Jock Walzer right. in the previous episodes. Like, there's a question about like to what extent should we question mm-hmm. right Kurtwell's narrative here, or did he right. see this as a convenient way to try to lessen his punishment? So mm. there's there's that there's that question. But if we accept what Kurtwell said, and we know like abuse, cycles of abuse perpetuate themselves, right? right? That's obvious. Um, so if we, even if we take it at face value, I think Lenny is both like has that tinge of sympathy, but as he tells Kurtwell, like complete the story, mm-hmm. and this isn't enough to like have you uh, you know off of any kind of punishment whatsoever. Right. And that in that sense, I think one of the most striking, two striking things in particular about that scene to me, one is this way in which Lenny is trying to assemble together like a kind of compassion mm-hmm. with like kind of cruelty. Like I think he's cruel in the way that he mm-hmm. weaponizes uh, Kurtwell's Parkinson's or like early stage Parkinson's or similar sort of mm-hmm. um, condition against him, right? right? If you can point to New York City, I'll send you there. Right. And we've seen him use the globe as a kind of like tool of you know manipulation, game mm-hmm. playing mm-hmm. before. So like there's a compassion I think he has and he expresses compassion towards all the people that Kurtwell has abused and could potentially abuse. And there's also that like moment of cruelty contained within it as well. Yes. Well, and I think also it's like he, I, for me it was really like when he said, well, we care about all children. Yeah. I thought, oh, okay. So maybe we'll do some rehabilitation and then for him to also exile him. But I mean... 
that's a common um, positive behavior reinforcement technique is to put children in timeout. So um, maybe it's a bit of timeout. Well, look, I mean, exile has a long, even like political history mm-hmm. as a punishment for crimes. Right. Like, you know, we can go back literally thousands of years to several different places. Exactly. Where that's a kind of common form of punishment. The other really striking thing about the converse, the scene and what I think is perhaps most interesting to me is Gutierrez's reaction, mm. 100% silent, right? Yes. It's just Javier Camara acting with his face, with his eyes, with yep. his tears, um, with his body. What, how did you interpret Gutierrez's reaction to Crowell's admission, to what Bunny did with him, to the punishment or partial punishment or however we want to phrase it? I think for him, I think watching his face, one, when Lenny kind of admits like the church cares about all children, I think he was, he, that probably felt, that seemed vindicating for him. Yeah. Um, you know, we never, we don't learn who abused Gutierrez or if it was a priest or not. It more than likely wasn't because he probably wouldn't have become a priest if it were. Um, but I'm sure that was like vindicating. And then once he's banished, he seems like okay with it and then kind of is disappointed also. Yeah. Because he's like, well, at least something got done. Um, but also it's not excommunication and jail time or real punishment. It's yeah. just go preach to people in the freezing cold. Yeah. And like, I like, you know, I'm happy to praise Javier Camara's acting it again, the expression and the crying as Lenny exiles Kurtwell to catch a can <coughs> lends itself to multiple possible readings, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think that it's an ambiguous reaction on mm. Javier Camara as Gutierrez's part. And right. I imagine intentionally so from a writing perspective and an acting perspective. I agree. And I commend that. Yeah. All right. So if that's kind of a bit of our lot of discussion about Kurtwell, there's a, another interesting conversation that Lenny has with Aguirre. Right. In Spanish. In Spanish. Who knew? But most, I mean, most popes do seem to be multilingual. Yeah. Um, surprising. Um, but a nice surprise. Although I guess, like, you have to know a lot of, or at least some Latin, and so then maybe, like, Latinate languages you have some right. more access to. Right? Because we've, we've seen Lenny speak some Latin, some Italian, some Spanish, in addition to English. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was, it was nice to, like, have, like, a conversation with Aguirre. It's been a while. A long while. Um, and I forgot how, like, enjoyable he is, because um, he's just such a jolly guy. Yeah. Um... Nice to see someone smile on the show. <laughs> there are not a lot of those to go no, around. Not um, enough. Ex- although the episode ends with Lenny saying, God smile. God's a smile right. or God smiles or whatever. So, like, yes, that's very weird. Like, it's an Aguirre speech that he gives yeah. at the end to some extent. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was really interesting that Aguirre is like, well, I want you, like, bringing up a lot of, like, the giving of the papal mass and asking him to do very ordinary things. For the good of the church, but Lenny's always looking for a purpose. So I wasn't surprised in his response of like, is this going to change things? Well, probably not. So why do it? Okay. Um, But it was just so interesting to like, because it makes me think a lot about like, as I kind of dig through my relationship with Catholicism, like how being in like a Catholic community, like it's very easy that's what church i think is meant for and why many people continue to go to church is to be in community with others um and talking about kind of that's probably that's why many churches are founded so you could have a space to be together with other people Mm -hmm. um 
And so if there's a good thing about religion is that it does bring you together. So I was thinking about kind of how that he's asking him just to be a regular priest in some ways yeah. and upholding the weight of God that way by just doing the mass. Yeah. And Lenny wants to frame it as, is it, is it his duty to put people in a good mood? And I think Aguirre's mm. answer or your answer would be yes, even if Lenny had not conceptualized that as part of the duty mm. of a priest or the duty of the Pope. Mm-hmm. And he's been obsessed at times with like what is his duty, and he has never once thought that putting people in a good mood is his duty. Mm-hmm. Often quite the opposite. He thinks right. his purpose has been to confront people. Yes. And also to like weed out problems. Yeah. Rather than bring people together. Yeah. Um, so I would say like that's one thing. Because he instantly comes up and is like, we need the papal tiara back. We need all of these things. Like we need to do this. Um, we're exiling everyone who's homosexual. Like we're just presence is absent is absence. Pres- yes, presence is absence. And so he, I think, to be to just show up and not be absent, I think, is very uh, very hard for Lenny um, because that's all he understands about authority is that it's mm-hmm. kind of absent in some ways. Yeah, right. Whether that's God or his absent parents, yeah. right? And aren't yep. those ultimately the same thing? Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but he also says that goodness without imagination risks exhibitionism. Do you want to talk about that, John? Well, only that I thought that in some ways that is the best distillation mm-hmm. of what definitely early and mid and late mid Lenny thinks and part of the like if we've often gotten him saying absence is presence and we've also gotten so frequently his like more strident anti-public anti-people anti-populist like authoritarian spiel underlying that I think is this notion right Mm -hmm. that if he was just simply trying to put people in a good mood that there's something like off-putting wrong like not godly about that right that it's a showing off Mm -hmm. which is ironic considering how much he likes to show off certain aspects of himself or of the church or Mm -hmm. of whatever (laughs) but it's in this like cloistered restricted constrained way so there's the the, like emphasis on what is the relationship of goodness to the private and goodness to the public that i guess shifts when he decides to give this speech where people can see his face Mm -hmm. in venice Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but there's still the remnants of the like quote-unquote old lenny around witness gutierrez asks him very earnestly all of the staff of this restaurant like want you to do a benediction they're just behind you will you turn around Mm -hmm. and like in a moment of real connection between the two right gutierrez has gone out to get his fucking cherry coke zero and then he's got like a small like spyglass gift um, which is adorable (laughs) and call back to a couple other other things that happened this season and still then like that would be the exhibitionism for lenny Right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and yet mm-hmm. he then goes on to give this speech, like at the right. Duomo and yep, yep, everything. Yep. Yeah. So it was just a. I think that's an indicator of the like moral, aesthetic, and ideological belief that underpins a lot of what Lenny has done throughout the whole season. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that leads up to like kind of this that also gives him some purpose, though, with this. Um, with speech he gives is that he has the dream vision of all of the popes <laughs> the popes of uh, what did you call it the popes of Christmas past <laughs> right um, and I thought that was a really also like a, a one of, another one of my favorite scenes um, is that he you know um, we're, we're given the point of view of like these kind of ghost popes wandering around and at first I thought it was Lenny in the bed and yeah. that's how I knew it was a dream um, and then it turns out he's at the kitchen table but kind of surrounded by all of these popes mm-hmm. Um, who have all of the, uh, 
he calls it banal platitudes. (laughs) But I thought it was really interesting because it felt like to me in this moment he had truly understood what it meant to be Pope, um, which means showing up and Mm -hmm. means like being the big shepherd Mm -hmm. and and doing the thing. I think that the final speech is like the greatest encapsulation of that. Yes. Right? Like, but I think this was part of him coming to terms with that. Yeah. And that's, it's fascinating that that, that dynamic is at work there when at the same time we get also like pure versions of Lenny's unconscious in this vision too, where like the advice, the banal platitude that he contests is believe in yourself, which like, yes, that is a banal platitude, but also believe in yourself who is Jesus is Mm -hmm. like Lenny's innermost core belief and being about himself. So like that is, even if in this vision, he calls it out, it's him calling out the very core expression of his unconscious Mm -hmm. and his like belief in his self that he feels and, or feels he has to project in order to like shore over his insecurity and pain and hurt. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think also just like an interesting way of him connecting to what his job is. Like, I don't know. My job dreams never happen. <laughs> my predecessors in them. <laughs> Me neither. Which is a good thing. I inherited my office on campus from like the worst person on the faculty notoriously. Oh my God. That's, that's, that's a thing. I mean, there's, it's a beautiful scene. It's a beautiful vision. Beautifully shot. Right? Like, yes, beautifully shot. We get the camera moving in an interesting way. We Spike get, Lee, shout out. Great call, right? Yeah. Very great call. I think that we only talked about that in the... We've talked about it. Th- this is the third okay, time. Okay, but one of those times was the mythic first episode where I fucked up the recording, and so we. <laughs> I don't think we made the point when we, no, we did. did. Okay, all we right, did. that's good. But anyway, you're, I didn't think about that in the moment. That's exactly right. It, like, is, it is a Spike Lee dolly it's, shot. It's a, yeah, it's a Spike Lee technique to film all these old, old-ass popes. Um, yes. Great call. They are all in different versions of, like, the most extreme forms of papal regalia. Yep. Um, in an episode where we actually see Lenny in the humblest regalia that we, or the humblest dress that we could see him in as a priest mm-hmm. when he goes to visit Sister Mary for the last time. Yep. So I think that's very notable. Me too. Um, and yeah, and I, there's another interesting... He's also just in, like, a regular priest get Exactly, up yeah. With exactly. a tabbed collar, that's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Which I also, yeah, was, like, the first time where he's accepting that he is... In some ways, just a man. Yeah. There's another kind of cool thing that's happening with the way they film this and that it calls back to the Tonino Petula scene, mm, right? Where, okay. like, Lenny is at one end of the table and all the priests are arrayed at the other end and lit in a not-quite-real way. Mm-hmm. They're glowing. Yeah, in a way that the Catholic Church officials, including Lenny, were lit in a not-quite-real way when they yeah. confront Tonino Petula. And, of course, we get Voyello's hilarious slash foreboding call out to Petula. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But I think one more point about this vision, and it's to further emphasize something you pointed out, that like the vision itself is a sign of Lenny to some extent potentially accepting what he has to do as Pope Mm -hmm. vis-a-vis the public, that we get him complaining or lamenting or like being exasperated to Gutierrez that like the job, the Pope's fate is to accept things, right? Mm -hmm. As he tells Gutierrez something to that effect. And it's kind of pissed about that when he's talking to Gutierrez. And yet in between that happening and him going out into the public, we get this vision. So I think you're right to frame it as like a pivotal moment Mm -hmm. in whatever development Lenny does as a person, as a character in this episode. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think it is it is him coming to terms with what the Pope does, which is just like the world's priest. <laughs> the whole world's his parish. Um, like the, they'd like to think so. So, and then that brings us to the speech. Oh my God. And how this episode wraps up. Oh my God. Did you like the way this episode ended? I, yes. I that, recognize that, that, it's not perfect. That's the correct tone, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it wrapped up in a way that made sense to me. Okay. Um, I Right. So he gives this speech, which is like kind of an interesting response to his first speech that we heard him give, which is softer, gentler, kind of figuring things out. He's moving himself to tears. Like he's, he's kind of believes this in he, some ways. I 100% agree. He even starts like, I think genuinely laugh crying. Yes. Right. Like a couple of times before he even launches this speech mm-hmm. that then moves him to tears right. again. Um, all of the, the cardinals around him are like, yeah, like they, they're cheering him on. Gutierrez is sobbing. Um, again, Javier just acting his ass off. He's killing it this episode. Um, and then he has like, we know earlier in the episode, he has like a palpitation. Yeah. Like some sort of like episode and then has another one, gets through it, yeah, finishes the speech and then collapses. Finishes doesn't finish his speech, he gets up and says, One day I'm going to die and then I can embrace all of you and right. I mean all of you. And then he collapses. Okay. Yeah. I I took that as a really strong conclusion. <laughs> I would have accepted it in first year comp. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think he planned that one. I think that was like a stroke of like his die, potentially dying words. Okay. Um, are that one day he is going to die and maybe actually that day is like in 20 seconds from now. Okay. Well, um, fair. So maybe we can focus on like the literal text of the speech itself before we get to the bizarre ass choice that they okay. make uh, to then <laughs> follow up the speech with and build off of it. Well, I guess a question for you. So he he gives this speech. Like, what do you think the importance of him giving this speech through the Blessed Juana is? Well, I think <sighs> Blessed Juana is also like she dies at like eighteen, so she's just hit the cusp of adulthood, and she's a child who believes so sincerely and believes joyfully. Yeah. Whereas Lenny, as a child, was the opposite. I think he believed in a very cynical way. And then he's kind of come about to, you know, kind of this sort of maybe atheism, kind of agnosticism, not really sure what he's doing sort of thing. But, you know, presumably just make, makes it work, fakes it till he makes it, and then makes it. Um, and so he, I think by putting it through Sister, or through Blessed Juana, he is kind of coming to terms with uh, some of his, like, issues with how he was, mm-hmm. his childhood. Yeah. Of, like, here's someone who as a child was just purely doing God's work. Um, and I think that had an effect on him. Yeah. Um, and I think that was him kind of going like, okay, yeah, she's maybe right. I agree with you in part because he has, we've, the camera has had visions of Blessed Juana over the past yes. couple of episodes. And here in this episode, Lenny also has a living, conscious vision of Blessed Juana mm-hmm. on the Vatican grounds, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. with the children that she healed, and, like, they're doing the tangerine-squeezing thing that the Spanish priest says, or the Guatemalan priest says. Um, they do with... And Lenny, though, focuses first on Blessed Juana, then on the, all the kids in the circle, then on, like, the one outcast kid who is still very sad and mm-hmm. doesn't join in, like, the hug or whatever in the center of the circle with the Blessed Juana. And I think that there's something in that, like... Like seeing himself and that vision he has of the kid that's mm. an orphan on the outside, right? That 
opens up him wanting to figure out how to connect with the Blessed Juana and what she comes to represent. And I think that that's part of what you're identifying in this speech. or what, yeah. That's what I hear when what you're identifying no, in this speech. No, I think you have uh, paraphrased accurately. <laughs> Great job. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's him kind of going... It, it's like seeing this child saint come around to all of this. I think that was someone that he started identifying with like yeah. in this episode especially. And he does so in like posing all these series of binaries and saying it doesn't matter in the end, right? right? Like, are we, you know, are we dead or are we alive? Are we healthy or are we sick? Are we young? Or are we old? Clean, dirty, true, false, rich, poor, kings, saints, uh, rich, beautiful, um, dumb, smart. Said, yeah, all of these different kind of binaries that he says, mm-hmm. you know, Blessed Juan was like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. And then that turns to like, who is God? Which he has a good like start the question go on the other things, good structure, come back to use the question again and kind of try to answer it, right? God smiles, and that's Mm -hmm. when everybody cheers. Mm -hmm. Um, And he asks them to smile. Mm -hmm. Is the speech a banal platitude? No, I kind of liked it. Okay. I I don't know. I thought it it was really seeing a lot of thoughtfulness from Lenny, of hopefulness but as we know i like hopeful things um <laughs> that is a, a strong trait of mine um <laughs> every time i get my tarot cards read the tarot card reader asks what my favorite card is and i say the star and the star represents hope <laughs> um it is also the card that is most closely um associated with our shared zodiac sign aquarius okay. um so i would say like i enjoy hopeful things do you and- think we've brought a strong aquarius energy to the young pope Oh, absolutely. Okay, we're, we're intellectualizing this very bizarre show <laughs> um, and not talking about... And well, we've talked, we've talked a little bit about our feelings. I think we've talked a lot about our... I've talked a lot about my feelings. I've also talked a lot about my feelings. <laughs> wow, good for us. Yeah. Um, two people who cope by intellectualizing. <laughs> um, amazing. Um, yes, we are definitely bringing Aquarius energy. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just um, a thing... I don't know. It was nice... This was also a point where I thought, wow, we, here's some real growth from Lenny. Yeah. Because he, that is such a different speech from his first speech as Pope. Yeah. Two thoughts there. One is kind of most directly on that last point. In some ways, I think that this speech is like partway between the fantasy slash nightmare speech he gives in the dream to start episode one mm-hmm. and the actual speech he gives at the end of episode two, like mm-hmm. the like militaristic Catholic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Catholic speech. Um, and so like, this is an interesting midway point between those two, I think. Right. And maybe that's a sign of growth. Or maybe that's a him accepting that like the, you know, like the Pope's past say power is a banal platitude, right? And that they right. only give him banal platitudes. And then the second thing I would say is that I refer this back to like the rubric that Paolo Sorrentino et al. have Lenny give us where like you can have goodness that is exhibitionism Mm -hmm. or you can have goodness plus imagination. I think the part of the speech where he's like working through all these binaries like through and with the Blessed Juana is the goodness plus imagination that like gets us thinking in interesting ways. But the who is God, Mm -hmm. God smiles, smile, smile, smile. That's the like banal platitude goodness that's just exhibitionism without a lot of substance behind mm-hmm. it. So I think yeah. we actually get both versions or both like offshoots of goodness in the speech. I think it's a good call. Yeah. But I also think there's some psychology to it that if you just find something to smile about, it does lift your mood a bit. <laughs> I smile at the young Pope. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't betray any like deeper issues, right? Or any problems that I have in my psychic and emotional life. I do, I'm going to um, 
not respond. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the safe answer. Anyway, do you think that his he actually sees his parents or who he thinks are? Do you think so those people? I... Do you think those people actually exist and are physically there at the like square in Venice or whatever? Well, I guess I was more focused on when he collapses. He looks, we get a shot of the sky and we see that he's seeing a vision of Mary in the the sky, right in the clouds. And I thought, oh man, he believes. (laughs) Um, As far as if they were his parents or not, I don't know. I'm somewhat less interested in the were they actually his parents and do those people actually exist Mm. or is Lenny as he is like in the process of collapsing, having some sort of attack, whatever it is that's happening to him, like literally hallucinating how he projects not his parents as Jesus and an angel slash Mary, but how his parents who are angry at him and disidentify from him would look at the moment of what she has this breakthrough about goodness and smiles and hopefulness and all of that. Like, are those people that he quote unquote sees through the spyglass of Gutierrez gifts him passes over and then comes mm-hmm. back to, do you think that those people were physically present? Like if we could ask Pope Paolo Sorrentino that, like, what do you think he would answer? I don't think Paolo Sorrentino would give an answer other yeah. than maybe. I yeah. don't know. What okay. do you think? Um, I would, I would hazard. I think they're, they're really there, but we're not seeing their true appearance. Okay. I think he's saying like, oh, that's what they could look like, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Um, I that's my my answer, yeah. I guess, is that maybe he's reading onto that too much that it's his parents. Yeah. Okay. I think that's fair. Um, and I mean, you pointed to this last time in episode nine, and we've actually seen this a couple of ways, both in this episode and the preceding episodes, that like. Lenny's collapse here at the end is extremely foreshadowed, Mm -hmm. right? Like, we have him being so, like, tired and fatigued back in episode eight. Mm -hmm. We have um, him... We have the image of death, right, at the end of Mm -hmm. the cold open to episode nine. Mm -hmm. We have him as Sister Mary flies away on the helicopter. He has, like, that palpitation or whatever Mm -hmm. with Gutierrez and resists the doctor there. So we get the, like, rule of three reveal. I guess it's a rule of four, like, the fourth Mm -hmm. time here it's revealed. Right. Um, That happens here. And, like, you know, we talked about this in the rectory last time. I was, like, trying to push, like, okay, well, who is going to die or potentially die with this image of death that's haunting Uh, the episode? So that was my needling you. Okay. Yeah. Um, No, I genuinely did not think Lenny was going (laughs) to die. We also don't know if he's dead. I mean, maybe I may have spoiled episode one of The New Pope for myself. Oh, no. (laughs) I guess we we ruined my bit for the rectory then. Oops. All right. We should talk about the choice they make. For after Lenny collapses. Okay, I thought the zoom out at first, like when we were zooming out and we saw, um, you know, the palazzo and we see like the lagoon and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then we kept going. Mm-hmm. It's a long. It is a long wrap up yeah. of like the sort of like God's eye vision. Um, also, dear listeners, I think that the summer camp craft God's eyes is the worst summer craft camp. A summer camp craft, and I do am not in favor of them. Okay, this is doing too much. Okay, right of like zooming way out to see the whole yeah. planet, basically. Um, you know, once we got to the boot of Italy, I was like, "That's enough. <laughs> I'm I'm good. I'm good." Uh-huh. Um, but I thought it was really interesting because at first I was like, "Okay, we're watching his soul fly away in some mm-hmm. ways." Yeah. Um, where I was like, "Okay," and then we zoomed out to just the planet, and there was nothing. If we had zoomed out to just white. Yeah. And we and cut it there, I would have been like, Great, that, all right. Okay. Oh, I would have been extremely fucking annoyed if it, like... Yeah? Yeah. 
I would have been fine with it. I would have been like, okay, he's dead. And so we zoom out to the earth. Yes. With like a hint of the sun. Yep. And the end, like it's uh, like classic Hollywood 1950s uh, (laughs) movie that it ends with. Also too much. But I also think they needed to probably wrap it up in a way that's like, we're not getting a season two um, necessarily of The Young Pope. um, And instead we get a sequel (laughs) miniseries. That's something that um, just took, I don't know, it just didn't, it was too much. It was too much. Yeah, I thought that the first time I watched this show and the second time I shot I saw this show this time it actually worked for me for the first time ever the zoom out Mm -hmm. um and I think part of it was considering the actual physical movements that's happening Mm -hmm. like I think your point of it could be Lenny's soul flying away is a useful way to think about it I think you know that like this is the bird's eye or god's eye view of the earth is an interesting way to think about it where like Venice remains the center so in some ways it's like whether it's Lenny's soul in a religious sense or whether it's his psyche in an emotional sense right like Mm. it's so centered that like the most important thing in literally the entire solar system right is no matter how far away you get literally physically emotionally psychically character growth wise whatever he's still like so focused and centric on like the trauma the def- what he understands to be the defining trauma of his life is like being associated with Venice mm-hmm. like we can take the God's eye view that's still centered on Venice mm. so, like there's that part of it that I think worked for me okay and then I noticed more so than in previous times that like you have this like hint of the sun that's happening at the edge of the screen okay. and the like final two seconds before right. the end title comes right. on. Right, so kind of the implication of like the world is continuing to turn without Lenny. Yeah, I think that that's a potential reading as well. Okay. What do you think though that like the team behind the young Pope, Paolo Sorrentino et al, were trying to do with this? Regardless of how, how it did or didn't work for you, like what are they trying to express, do you think? I mean, I think trying to show like the greater humanity in some ways like you know Catholicism is a religion that is slowly dying um and so I think they are trying to show it in some ways as like here's this great big world and a man who's just on it doing what he knows how to do so it's like a universalizing yeah maybe universalizing the human experience kind of thing I that would be my best my best guess I'm not really sure yeah, I that in some ways is the. I'm usually I'm not a big like author person like, you know the author is dead whatever like all of that we know that but um, I think for a show like this that is so, from what I gather like so Paolo Sorrentino's voice mm-hmm. right and vision and aesthetic I think it is an interesting question like what was he trying to do and what was the team of creators behind this show trying to do with that okay. right um becomes interesting and like i love i love the old-timey title sequence like the end that's i think this show doing melodrama as well as one possibly can mm-hmm. right i think this is often and increasingly so as the season goes on a very melodramatic show yeah and like much like there you can have goodness on its own that's like kind of banal and boring and exhibitionist, right? To use Lenny's terms. Or you can have melodrama plus imagination. This show so often achieves melodrama plus imagination mm-hmm. in a way that speaks to me. Like that's how I would want melodrama to exist. Okay. Okay. And I think there's something about the ending and like that final flourish on top of like the biggest fucking flourish of we're going to literally <laughs> zoom out to the solar system. And I'm gonna put my little flourish like titles card over the end over mm-hmm. it is something that I really, really appreciate it. I mean the thing that I 
think I liked the most, even before the zoom out happens, though, is that we also bring in like almost everyone we've met, oh, which yeah. I thought was really oh, it's moving. So, it's so so beautiful. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. So we go and we see um, people watching the speech. So like Andrew's paramour and the drug dealer. Um, rest in peace, Andrew. Gone too soon. Um, his um, like girlfriend from California and yeah. her two kids. Uh-huh. We revisit her. Prime Minister, um, all of the New York City yeah. characters, including Freddie, uh-huh. um, the and sex Peter. worker. Yeah. Yep, Peter's there. Um, They're I, all watching his speech. I think I to jump in. Like I think that that emphasizes your like universal human experience reading, yeah. where like literally Lenny's speech, where he finally reveals himself to the public, is the moment that can connect all of these disparate characters. Right, and I think also like the fact that he's finally allowing himself to be seen by the public and be televised. One, a sign of growth, and then two, also allowing himself to connect with other humans, which he's struggled with for his entire life, clearly. Um, I mean, it's it's Andrew, Sister Mary, and Spencer to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. So he's finally letting himself, like, do the thing. But also people have, there are also people who've moved on from his bullshit, which is, like, Sister Mary, who (laughs) is out playing soccer and running around with the kids um, at the orphanage. And um, Kurtwell's praying or is leading mass right, and Kurtwell's catch mass on the tundra. Can. We have Rose with the hole still in her in the right. bedroom, like just a tarp with the wind blowing. Like, Ugh. shouldn't someone fix that? Like, right. But also, like, kind of a theatrical way yeah, of looking at absolutely. Rose, and like, Rose, acknowledging her story and absolutely. the work she's done. Yeah. Um, uh, and then also Esther is not Ugh. watching the Pope for I the first know. time. I know. She's way over it. She's on the beach. Yep. Or the lake, the lake beach, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I think what I appreciate the most about this particular mode of doing the end is that like, it really called attention to me, this time even more so than previous times, that so many of those characters we just listed, right? There's some exceptions. Andrew, Esther, right? Sister Mary, who we knew only for an episode or mm-hmm. two episodes, and mm-hmm. that's it, right? Whether it's Rose, whether it's uh, David and Pete and Freddie um, in New York City, right? right. Whether it's um, Kurtwell to some extent, whether it's the sex worker, or whether it's the prime minister of Italy. These are people that like we only got for maybe... You know, in the case of the sex worker, what four minutes of screen time with the yeah. whole season, and yet by doing this at the end of the season, they get to kind of tie together and maybe show off a little bit in a way I'm totally fine with. That here are all of these characters, many of whom you only had in an episode or two, and yet mm-hmm. we as a TV show like can demonstrate that they feel something in response to the way this show ends, and in turn like point out to us as viewers that you have feelings about these people that we mm-hmm. literally had on screen for five minutes. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very impressive thing. I agree. I mean, I think there's so much, especially with Rose in particular, yeah. it was a good wrap up. Yeah. Um, I think also. Yeah. One final thing I'll point out before about this and <clears throat> is that there's something about, and I hadn't realized this before, something about this like pan out to literally space that, does some mirroring with the title sequence, right? Because in the title mm. sequence, we get the comet that cuts across all of the paintings, right. like illuminating them and animating them quite yeah. literally as Lenny walks by them all. And that ends up striking like JP2 slash not JP2 at the end. And so we have like that space theme as like the opening. Mm. And then here we have like this a space theme as right. the ending that's maybe a new beginning as well like we don't but, know but also like so just as the comet is illumining 
all of the paintings, the sun is illumining Earth. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah. know. But and, also, and Lenny's death is illumining right. for us all right. of these characters right. once more. Well, and I also think or one thing that I think is an interesting choice in this episode is how they're shooting people's heads. Mm. In particular, like, I... This also, in this moment, makes me think about, like, the, like, circle of gold that often frames yeah. um, uh-huh. saints in mm, various artwork. Great call, yeah. And the same thing happens to the the popes of Christmas past, is their, mm-hmm. their heads are particularly lit, highlighted, yeah. like, they have that golden halo around them. Yeah. Again, better use of halo than the actual use of the song halo early in this I, episode. You know, I do a, gra- a great reading. I think that's a place to end there. Yes. I think a little bit like we can call it main discussion. We can call it a bonus segment for the finale is we do a couple like wrap up questions. Some of which like go back to some of the things we talked about back in the first episode. Mm -hmm. So like in some ways, what is one of the more interesting questions to me is what the show's relationship to and perspective on Catholicism is Mm -hmm. here at the end. And like, do you think you would answer that question differently now that we've journeyed through the entire 10 episodes of the young Pope? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think it's still doing a little bit of spectacle fetishization mm-hmm. in some ways, but I think it's also a show highly critical of Catholicism um, now that we've wrapped it up and especially critical of how the church operates. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they give us the realistic answer of what happens to the priests, um, mm. who, the many priests mm. who have abused children. As in like if Kerwell got excommunicated, maybe that's to need a resolution for right. us as the church, audiences. The church would yeah. likely never do. I don't know if they've ever done it. Yeah. I really I really couldn't tell you. But the church likely would not. I think that gives us a realistic expectation of the church of how the church operates. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, with the Kurtwell case. Brings into question the amount of money that the church spends. Um, I think that Lenny's refusal to be seen on t- to be seen and have merch particularly produced of him is, um, you know, a point that I was like, yeah, the church should not have this much (laughs) money or this many artifacts. And the fact that he's choosing to get involved with it is, like, kind of a tenuous thing. Like, Mm -hmm. he gives this tour to the children. The world's worst (laughs) tour, frankly. Um, But also there's, like, I... What is it? The the I heart... Uh, I hope Papa, Papa Pio the fourteenth hat. Yeah, they don't have his face. And TV on shirt and T and t-shirts. Yeah, there's t-shirts. There's finally some merch. He shows himself on face, but it's in a way that seems more genuine in some hmm. ways. Like the I heart Papa Pio. T- I don't think those are like official like Vatican gear, right? Those are like people. I was going to say that's my guess, world. but it's a lovely homage to where he comes from because it's kind of like the mm, I heart New York shirts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard New York logo. Good call. Um, which I thought was kind of lovely. So I don't know. <laughs> I would agree I don't think they're official Vatican merch, but it is a lovely nod to like yeah. where he comes from, which makes it feel a little more genuine. And he finally, cons- and if that's like something he signed off on, I think that makes sense in some ways. Mm-hmm. Of like, well, we'll do this merch. It doesn't have his face on it, but it does give a message of like, love in some ways or like adoration or like affection and then he also chooses his first like televised appearance is him like talking a lot about kind of like the full apostolic nature of the church Mm -hmm. um and what it means to be catholic because catholic you can use as an adjective without the big c and have it mean unity and mean community yeah so i think it's highly critical of the church um for sure um You've also, we've noted, like, does the church believe it, or does the show believe in can, God? Can we wait to get to that question? Because yes. I think that, okay. so this is, I believe, Shanti Collins' 
and or Gretchen Felker Martin's like view of the show is that they've described if I'm remembering correctly as um, this is a show that like presumes that most of Catholic theology is real in the sense that like there's a certain version of God that exists miracles can and do happen prayer does and do prayer can and does work right so there's on the one hand this like extreme acceptance of Catholicism mm-hmm. and like from that starting point of if we were to presume that Catholicism like ex- and all of its theology was real what then and I think that that's a really like keen insight into the show and that's a then keen perspective to take as a as a tv show it's not like do miracles work or not like that's less interesting than we have this pope who can fucking do miracles how what does that mean right. for his emotional and psychic state how do you th- feel about that audience how do other characters respond to that amid all of the criticisms that you're given it's like mm-hmm. what gets you someone who can do both like okay. accept all of catholic theology and criticize the catholic church in the way the show criticizes the catholic church mm-hmm. and like i think that's just such a like nuanced and creative and generative starting point for a show because mm-hmm. it somewhat sidesteps the like catholicism good or bad it's way more complicated than that right if it accepts that a certain amount of what Catholic theology says is actually real. Fictional, question mark, universe, semi-meta-fictional, perhaps, universe of the show. I think it has show. to be fictional because it's not a very realistic look at Ketchikan, Alaska. <laughs> it's moved it into the tundra, <laughs> not on the coast. Um, so I I agree. I think it's a certain sense of magical realism, mm, yeah. in my view. Yeah. Um, but also, like... This is my honest opinion is that, like, I think that some of Lenny's miracles were coincidences. Um, but that's my view of, of religion is that, you know, some things get explained away. Um, maybe the fact that Tanina Petula is so good at doing meniscus tears and ACLs is because <laughs> people are just resting their legs more. Um, they can heal on their own without surgery. Do you think the show is trying to convince us that in its universe, Lenny did these miracles? I think the answer is yes. That the show, in the universe of the show, it believes that Lenny did these miracles. Now what we do with that is like a whole bigger question. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we, we literally get, it's a very, I think, funny scene from a kind of meta level of the priest talking about how Lenny's basically a saint and right. is like lays out the case for all of these miracles that he's done. Even he says setting aside, you know, the uh, incident when you were 14 and the sick woman gets healed. Right. right? Like, he's like, here's the literal case for why the, these are actual miracles that you did. Hmm. I, I maybe, I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know if I have an answer. Yeah, that's fine. Um, Do you think the show believes in God? Do you think Lenny believes in God? Do you think the show believes in God? I don't... I feel very conflicted. Yeah. I feel like Lenny, before we see his soul fly away, is starting <laughs> to believe in God. Yeah. He's seeing more visions. Like, it, like, I think it is really clear to me that him with the Popes of Christmas past, that's a vision, not a dream. Interesting. How would you distinguish those two things? I think a dream, like, when you see a dream sequence, like, the coding of it is that we do see someone wake up. We don't get that. Don't we get him like waking up from a like startling up from like a nap in his chair? But when he has when he's in a chair with his eyes closed, he's praying. Oh yeah, that, ooh, great point. I like that. I like that, Regan. 
That's all I'm saying. Very nice. So I think that's him having like a real vision. He's okay. starting starting to believe. Ultimately, I think for me, on just like more an ex- of an experiential level, right? This show is a for me a question about like to what, and I've addressed this in a number of ways, and we've talked about it in a couple of kind of glancing ways throughout the season. Like, can you identify with these like extremely fallible, broken, often broken, not entirely, but often kind of broken people who like carry some sort of existential weight or burden? Mm as they do shady stuff, as they're part of this fucking institution, as they do what they do in this season of TV, and as on Lenny's part, like, they assume or claim a certain kind of infallibility. Hmm. Like, I think in some ways that's what the show is most interested in, in, like, the setting of the Catholic Church, the theological world or reality or ontology of the show is, like, in service of those emotional questions internal to the show and external in its interaction with those who would engage with it. I think, yes, it is asking us to relate to people in the show. I think there's, there's a lot of relatable characters in this show. I think at one point I related to every single person. Is Bunny relatable? Yes. Because he's like a highly doubtful person and extremely cynical and like unwilling to put up with bullshit. Like that for me, I like, yeah, I would like to be less willing to put up with bullshit, but I also work with college students. Um, Dear students, if you're listening, I do love you. I promise. I just know how you operate because I was that person. So I would say, uh, yes. Um, I think like there that, but that's how like, you know, it's a good show is that, and that is that you see characters where they do things that you would relate to. Um, I think that in some ways it is a show about work Mm. and how you operate as a human in a work environment in some ways. And like, I mean, every institution has flaws and damages. I mean, we are part of the part of of one. We're part of one. On like a micro level and a macro level. Right. 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 Um, I think. Can I push that point a little bit further? Yes. I'd agree that it's a show about work, and I think it's a show that, in the realm of work, asks questions about the possibility or impossibility of ethical relationships in the context of workplace and hierarchy, mm. right? Which, of course, is a question like that we've come back to, and I think you've been especially like keen and really insightful ways of emphasizing of the like, what do priests do? How do they operate? How do they relate to their flock or whatever? Like that's also, there's a way to extremely intellectualize the question of you have this relationship of extreme hierarchy, but yet can you build like a genuinely ethical human bond in the context of this relationship of hierarchy? And I think that the show is interested in that in a general level and particularly interested that through the lens of work. Yeah, I think, no, and I think that sums up kind of how I, I feel about it is that you, we are all people who operate in like a, in something that we may or may not be fully on board with. Like Gutierrez, for example, not on board with the church's stance on homosexuality. However, he is a loving and devoted priest. He clearly loves his job. He's stuck around for it his whole life. He's trying to make better of it. And I think that is what it's asking us to do, is that how do you use the work you may do Mm. in order to be better or better the system? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, It's a a reformist show. Yes. Interesting. That might be my answer. All right. That's a great answer. Thank you. I appreciate that reading. I came to it in a weird way. That's normal for me. <laughs> Only appropriate for right. A, in general, B, a podcast, C, this show. Like, right. we go on and on and right. making, making right. that list. Right. 
So we talked actually a lot in this episode about Javier Camara. Um, yes. One thing I think that we did a little bit less of um, throughout the season is like talking about some of the act. We talked about Jude Law a lot. We've talked about right. Javier Camara in this particular mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. But like any of the other characters and, and actors that you want to kind of particularly give flowers to in the parlance of podcasts in 2023? Oh, well, Diane Keaton, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've known for many years that Diane Keaton is <laughs> kick-ass and capable of doing lots of different roles. And I love like this, that kind of semi I think I think it's like the third to last scene we get with her where she and Lenny are having their conversation yeah. before she takes yeah. off and um how she's like like just like the how she gives the line like of course you can call me ma like what like tenderness and realization mm. she's giving in that moment like I'm really here for it yeah and I think that one of the things about Dan Keaton in this show that I appreciate is that she has to do a lot with voice yes. because she's wearing the habit in most mm-hmm. of her scenes, mm-hmm. right? Not all, obviously, or right, a famous right, T-shirt, right, right. Um, but she so often has like the beyond, whole body cover. Yeah, yeah, beyond like the words that she's saying, like she has her face. She's often wearing su- wearing sunglasses outside, so yep. even then she doesn't have access to like the full set of tools. Yeah. So she has her face or some of her face. And her voice, yep. right? In addition to the words on the page and her like mm-hmm. body that's in that's covered, so right. like it, well, it takes a lot of the her. actress who plays young Sister Mary also yeah. deserves some laurels because she's doing the most physicality, yeah. showing how Sister Mary operates too and how she's grown, yeah. Because we see like Sister Mary also like throughout her life of knowing Lenny of like. No, you cannot call me ma. Strict boundaries, but also like plays basketball with the boys and yeah. like may or may not be aware of that she's kind of their mom figure but also their sexual <laughs> and I think that the show is very sympathetic towards sisters and nuns yes right and that like there are many many scenes sprinkled throughout where it's like okay they may be covering their bodies in a particular way as a result of being part of this religious order and yet like they move their bodies around like any human moves their right. bodies around that has no, the ability is. to move it around like they're playing basketball they're playing soccer they're like in the grass they're like doing whatever they're doing they're right. washing they're doing like things making orange juice do. yeah they're making orange juice right they're doing like embodied human things right. when we have a tendency to perhaps disembody them or assume mm. they're abstracted from the body I see I disagree oh, okay. but part of that is just how I've experienced Catholicism sure. is that I have never in my life met nor seen a religious brother out in public. When I think of religious folks who are doing the work, who are not priests, it's sisters. Like, they are the ones that do so much work in society. That is, like, the good work that the Catholic Church does. It's like, they're win. As I will stick fast to this, if there are religious people on this planet that I respect the most, it is a sister and a nun because they... Or do the work, and I think that's kind of the role of like women in the church. They do a lot of work unacknowledged. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think the show gives them acknowledgement by giving them joyful things to yeah. do. I, I like that way, although it does question or tinge that with the figure of Sister Antonia, right? The, right. Like, the, even if that is the case, there's always the temptation to corruption. Yes. Because of the work that they do. Right, and, and I, but I think Sister play. Antonia is also pointing out that like. We there's a duality to that nature yeah. because I think when we think of people who do wrong, we immediately go to the sex abuse scandals, which mostly have to do with priests. Right. I think the show is kind of going like, mm, this can also, abuse can happen in different ways. Yeah. So I think, um, I agree with your point. I want to push on it that yeah. with that no, much. I appreciate that. So. Sylvia Orlando thoughts that you'd like to share? 
I was not expecting um, Voyello to become such a comic character. After, like the first episode, I was like, oh, he's bad. He's bad yeah. news. But he turned out to be someone who I really like. Once he was on screen, I was like loving it. Yeah. Um, he has a great episode this episode also. A I, lot of expressive eyebrows. Um, you know, clearly great showing. Great eyebrows on that man. Mr. Great eyebrows. And or like makeup department that maybe was adding more yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, does some great eyebrow acting that's like masterful. Yeah. Um, Although I will say it was one interesting choice that the show made as an episode. It like held Voyello back in this episode. We don't yeah, see him a lot until Sister Mary's flying away. I think. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So like it, it was very restrained in its deployment of Sylvie Garland right. in this episode. Well, and also shows his changing role because mm. he's used to being someone who's in the thick of it. Yeah. And now he's able to do the things he's just supposed to do. Yeah. Um, so the show kind of gave uh, Voyello a little bit of a work break <laughs> and let and let him not have to do extra service. Yeah. So, um, I have one final question for you okay. here at the end of the season. Okay. Regan, this is the this is the ultimate question. This is our version of like, does God exist? Okay. Right? It's was spending like dozens and dozens of hours watching the show, preparing to record, recording, fielding my texts about this show. Was that a good decision that you made for your summer 2023? Um, I enjoyed myself in like the podcasting aspect of it. I'd always wanted to be on a podcast. Um, and now I have been. Um, and even called co-host. Very yeah, exciting. Absolutely. Um, as far as my enjoyment of the show, I'm unsure if I would have given it a read a rewatch. <laughs> However, I think in having the deep discussions about three or four rewatches. Not that I know anyone who has done that. I do. His <laughs> name is John McMahon. Um, you should talk to him sometime. Um, I don't know if I would give it a rewatch. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh-huh. I can't say, however, that I hated it. Like, yeah. there were points where I was very... I'm very invested in this tale. Yeah. Um, it's not the sort of show I typically watch, um, as we know from my first appearance on Not Quite a Great Book... Not Quite Great Books. Um, you know, I was very into, like, the Marvel shows for a while. Not so much anymore. I haven't watched one since Loki. Um, but not not the typical sort of show I go for. Yeah. Um, because I, I generally, as many English majors do, like things with answers. <laughs> this left me with yeah. more questions. Prefer no answers. Right. Well, because want. you're a political theorist. It's very true. Um, my question is slightly different, though. I, I, I wanted to know all of those things, but I'm more interested in, like, as a life choice, oh. your choice to agree when I was like, Regan, what do you think about this? Was that a good decision or a bad decision in your life? No, I think it was a good decision. Okay, great. I think it was a good decision. You. Um, you know, I re-listened to the, I would listen to the episodes and be like, oh my God, I earned, I really earned my master's degree right now. I'm smart. So, yes, you are. Absolutely. So, <laughs> um, so no, I think it was good for me. Um, to get into something that was very different for me that I still enjoyed. Yeah. Um, I didn't adore it, but I enjoyed yeah. it. Um, and be able to dissect things and talk a lot about Catholicism and yeah. its relationship to the world around us. Yeah. So, yeah, I think ultimately a good decision. Can I ask you a frivolous bonus question? Sure. There's a, let's call it a high percentage chance that it's May 2024 and we're like having a glass of wine in one of our apartments and I'm like, Regan... I know I just joked about this, but I'm kind of serious. Okay. Do you want to do the new Pope this summer, 2024? What is like the likelihood that you will say yes to that? 
Highly likely. At, <laughs> le- yes. at least 89%. What if I told you that uh, New Pope is infinitely hornier than Young Pope? 100%. <laughs> <laughs> what a place to end. We're going on to the segments. So for the final time, at least until <laughs> New Pope 2024, it's time to go into Regan's Rectory. Where should we start? Um, I just want us all to acknowledge that I was right about Gutierrez. We were. We acknowledge it fully. <laughs> um, you know, a confirmed homosexual. Um, and um, all of the hints he dropped were true. He was abused as a child. Yeah. Um, and that was why Lenny picked him to go. Yeah. Um, a move that I kind of approve of for Lenny, uh, because I think Gutierrez is someone who clearly has handled trauma. Yeah. And did a dang good job at it. And as Lenny said, when he sent Gutierrez in the first place, like it required Lenny believing in Gutierrez more mm-hmm. than Gutierrez believed in himself. Mm. But like witness last episode, witness the confrontation between the two right, of them that right. we talked about earlier, like Gutierrez like did it. I think also several um, good things that I was wrong about. For, for instance, um, Girolamo lives to see another day. Wonderful. I hope he has like a lovely, um, fulfilled life. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, this um, lovely dude. I don't know. No complaints about Girolamo. Right. Um, Sister Mary gets to do what she loves and go back to working with orphans. Yeah. Which I think is great. Um, and that she um, is not like, uh, she did not wrong Lenny. I was yeah. very concerned that she was going to do you that. Were. Um, no one got into a fist fight except for maybe Tanino. <laughs> Ambiguous as to yeah, what we'll his fate is. We don't know. <laughs> um, I would also say I was pleased that, um, we have like a little bit of softening of Boyello and growth for him. Yeah. Um, things I was not expecting to happen, but it never had come up in Rectory. Okay. He also didn't get hit so that's good um, <laughs> but again still shocked that Andrew died yeah. I guess that's my one rectory thing where I was like what no okay um so yeah all right so I have some questions for you okay for the rectory okay um maybe this question has been you've spoiled already but like do you think before you accidentally let it roll into new Pope episode one um did you think Lenny was dead well I okay so I didn't let it roll into new episode okay. one I was looking at um, the Wikipedia page for the, the new Pope and had seen obviously all the ads and like the it's Malkovich you know, is John Malkovich forward and forward ads, and yeah. Lenny's and the and Jude Law's in the back. So um, I know that he's in a coma in the new okay. <laughs> series. Um, but I did think that he died. And it's yeah. possible. He could have died for a minute and come yeah, back. That's true. That's possible. Do you think in the new Pope, Lenny ever wakes up from a coma? Um, did not spoil any of that part for myself. Okay. I just spoiled a little bit. Good. Just that little bit. I, I thought so. So let's, let's I ask you this question. Okay. Um, What's your prediction? Does he wake up from the coma? Hmm. I'm going to say no. Okay. And then last question. In the new Pope, what state do you think Lenny is in at the end of the new Pope? Let's get your predictions on the record now. He's on a respirator still. Okay. Maybe they're thinking about pulling the plug. Maybe okay. they do. 
But definitely in the last episode, he will still have the tube down his throat, keeping him going. All right. Thank you for indulging in this speculation. Oh, you're welcome. Should we head into Gloss? We can head into Gloss. All right. So we should give some more time, I think, to particularly Sister Mary um, mm-hmm. and then Voyello, and particularly the like beautiful moments between them, but also yeah. separate from them. From each other that they have mm-hmm. about the other person, right? Yeah. It's like I thought that Lenny's recognition and in some ways like appreciation for or mini celebration as much as he would celebrate of Mary and Sister Viola's rela- <laughs> Mary and Viola's relationship um, was really, really adorable. The like, I think that gives you enough time to say goodbye to the Cardinal Secretary of State. This mm-hmm. like great line, great line delivery by Jude Law, great reaction yeah. by Diane Keaton um, in the moment. And then Viola's admission to Girolamo that he loved Sister Mary. Right. And he remains like vexed as to why you know that he can love a woman or love sister mary and love god at the same time mm. it's beautiful it was beautiful and a great argument for Amory. <laughs> we never knew you know the bachelor and the bachelorette great you know reality tv this that shows us about one it. of your theories that is the most correct regan levin theory. Yes. yeah but you know the young pope also showing <laughs> us that polyamory is an option. Look, and, we're, and I told you, new pope, and I'm not joking, new pope is extremely hornier than this show. Okay. And this was occasionally a very horny show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I would say there was some strong horny vibes. So even in the slightly less horny version of it, still in okay. the end, and... and argument on behalf right. of polyamory. But also, like, I think it brings into the question of, like, the different kinds of love you can have yes. with someone. Because I don't know if I would say that Voyello has marriage I don't know I'm going to call it marriage love I don't uh-huh. that's not really what it's called yeah um I think it's clear he re- admires her respects her and and has romantic feelings maybe for her I mm-hmm. don't know about sexual feelings yeah I think it's like a romantic love but not a sexual love that yeah. he has or, or a romantic love without sexual love yes. that he has yeah. for her and that's different than the like agape love that mm-hmm. he has for the church or for God right right yeah I, yeah, that's what I would say. Um, but I also think it's lovely that, like, that was an episode that showed them as equals and yes. that how they have solidified a relationship of, like, friends and yeah. and um, people who were there to support their god-nephew, god-son <laughs> situation. They know. also successfully pulled off what you have described to me as one of your toxic traits, um, your love of, like, <laughs> enemies, enemies to, to lovers. lovers. They did yes, it. They, they did. They made it. I know. The train I never <laughs> knew I would get on. Um, HMS. Um, SS. Boyello, <laughs> Mary. Angela, Mary. And then there's, I also, I mean, there's obviously the moment when Sister Mary flies away in the helicopter, mm-hmm. like face in hand, like pressed up against the glass yeah. um, as a Voyello and a member of the sisters are looking up, many right. of them crying. Um, which is beautiful. Right. And it literally breaks Lenny's heart. Yes. Like that's what his first palpitation, which is so sweet. That is very sweet. That he's, he's come around to also for, for Lenny kind of what, having accepting that he has kind of a mom in life. Yeah, absolutely. And the, like Lenny does a thing that is good for the church. He thinks is good for others and knows is good for sister Mary and Mm -hmm. like asking her, requesting her to take over for sister Antonia. Yeah. Um, like, that's a, you know, you described it to me as we were talking before we started recording. It's like a very fitting ending for Sister Mary. Right. Why yes. is that? 
Well, I think because she is given... Okay, I'm going to make a reference to, to show Ted Lasso, which I know you okay. are not in favor of Ted Lasso. Yeah, I'm ideologically I, opposed. That's yeah. fine. But one really poignant scene, I think, in Ted Lasso, which was played for laughs, which is that the two main female characters are in a bathroom together. One is the owner of a soccer club, very wealthy. The other is like kind of like been working as like a model slash actress for a while. She's not really great at it. She's almost 30, still dating footballers who are 23. And um, so Rebecca, the older woman, who's the, the wealthier woman, um, offers Keely, the younger woman, a job in the bathroom. And she and uh, Keely says in response, like, makes me feel like a man. And that they give themselves jobs and lose all the time. <laughs> I'm not a skilled accent worker. That's pretty good. Um, it's much better than I would have been able to do. Thank you. I famously don't try accents on not quite great books. Okay. And then Rebecca... Even Russian accents. Right. Like, that I could maybe pull off. Okay. And then Rebecca responds, well, men give each other jobs, uh, or like jobs and lose all the time, which <laughs> is a funny plan words. But yeah, but, and I think that's something where it's like, she's given a job. She hasn't had to scrabble for it in ways that many women have. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's seen as like, this is work she is meant to do because she loves it. She um, will be good at it, and she's the right person for the role, mm-hmm. which I think is really important. I love it. So. You mentioned to me that you maybe had a couple more thoughts on Kurtwell you wanted to offer. Yes. Um, so I think that he – it's an interesting kind of subplot for him. Mm-hmm. Was we just kind of watch him wait and be um, – and exert all the patience and coping skills that he's ever seen. It's kind of interesting to me because I was not – having seen him – anxiously fidget lay on the bed pray the rosary like i knew he was thinking about kind of the wrongdoing he's done but he's clearly someone who also has survived trauma and that's the story he gives Mm -hmm. which is that he was traumatized as a 12 year old boy um and i thought it was a really interesting reflection on how like bodies keep scores yeah throughout time you know he's clearly debilitated by what is might be parkinson's or implied to be parkinson's and trying to um, excuse his behaviors, but also like the things that it happened to us stay with us. And sure, he's learned and he's learned to cope in ways that are unhealthy and has perpetuated an abusive cycle. But I wasn't that shocked when he revealed that he had been abused yeah. just because of how he reacts as this sort of like mini subplot in mm-hmm. the episode of Pondering. Yeah, I think you're right to call our attention to the scenes that we get of him before he's meeting with Lenny and Gutierrez mm-hmm. um, and what that asks us to consider about him and reveals about him is, I think, a smart mm-hmm. point. So right. I like he's incredibly that. anxious, but also hurt. Mm-hmm. And has to relive that yeah. in ways that he is good. But also interesting to me that we learned that David was perhaps conceived under some form of consent, or at least Possible. between adults. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't a, uh, raised by a teenage mother because they met at the Catholic University yeah. um, while they were both studying, which I thought yeah. was quite interesting Yeah, to learn. Do you want to, this is a mostly non sequitur about Catholic University. Go for it. <laughs> that is home to like weird political theory. Is it? It's a it's a like welcoming place to like weird Straussian nonsense. Okay. So just okay. that's for Danielle. That's a okay. nugget for Danielle. Nugget for Danielle. So we'll see if she uh, Danielle has a if response. You, if you listen this far, text text us that you, <laughs> you got that. Um, another for somewhat frivolous point. 
Lenny tour guide, would you take a tour from Pope Lenny? God, no. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> I love that scene so much. I, I love his disgust with the idea of he agreed to give a tour to children. Um, in his scene with Sophie, where, like, he let Sophie sit on the, the Pope chair, which mm-hmm. is funny to me on mm-hmm. its own, and, like, their uh, rapport is a fascinating element in the show. Um, and then he's like, this is an atrocity to make me do this mean, tour. I mean, that surprise me. No, because not you, at all. Well, and also, this is, I think, um, Lenny acting the most like you, because the only time you gave a tour for work, you were done and wouldn't even go get ice cream with me. That's true. During summer open house last year. Yeah, that's true. That was that was like a solid two hours of like of of giving a tour, which is not my primary mode of engaging with the role. I think I was pretty good at it, but then I was right. done. You were yeah. done. It was also kind of a little hot that day. Like it I was, was it was not good weather, right? And you had to wear school regalia, which you don't I, like doing, which I didn't do because I famously don't wear polos. Right. <laughs> I'm, are you purchasing a SUNY Plattsburgh Academic Affairs polo? No. Okay, good. Neither am I. <laughs> Absolutely. And I didn't know that was an option. Oh. oh D- Dan might have gotten the email. Okay. Or no, it wasn't released to faculty. Okay. That was an email I got from, <laughs> from um, secretary who puts up, or well, she's not a secretary. She's an administrative assistant. Yeah. Woman who famously puts up with a lot of BS. Sent a lovely email about wanting to um, extend this offer of getting academic affairs branded t- um, polos so we could rival ESS. Yeah, I will be contributing zero dollars towards this. Well, class. you have to pay for your own shirt. So I said no. Yeah. And I said a dean could buy it for me if they really wanted me to have one. I, this is one of the many reasons why we're friends. That is precisely my stance on this issue. Yes, I had, I had suggested um, the dean of SBE <laughs> because he is the one that I think makes the most money. Seems most likely. So. Yeah. Although I will say, I, over the pandemic. Although I think if I asked the dean of EHHS, she would maybe consider doing it. <laughs> I, 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 she is my favorite. <laughs> no comment. Um, uh, She's the one I've talked to the most. Fair. Um, I think in general, I am you know not the ideal tour guide, but like over the pandemic, I did like Google Meet into my sister's fifth grade classroom, and I'd <laughs> like to say I was excellent at it. All right, I will be checking out, yeah. checking this out, yeah. Allie. Yeah, check check with I will, the, check I will with Allie. Um, I'll tell you what. The fifth graders, more engaged, more alive, better questions than my fucking college students. Ooh, hear that, students? That's a challenge. Absolutely a billion percent it is. Wow. That was like deep pandemic, but the fifth graders were responding much better. Wow. (laughs) Over. They were a much better virtual classroom than any of my virtual classrooms. Oh, man. With one possible exception. Shouts to my senior seminar. You had a very good senior seminar. um, That's right. 2021, I think. Okay. Um, But anyway, I... But yes, this was a moment where I thought it was funny because it did remind me of you. Thank you. The reluctant tour guide. Whatever. I I appreciate it. I accept the... Whatever Um, this is. Who, you know, he probably knew a lot about the art and such and clearly is an admirer of that thing. Um, But it was definitely funny to me. Um, And I thought the moment that he has with the little boy whose mother wants him to maintain the Mediterranean diet. Ah, what a line. (laughs) Oh my god. You're not going to go eat hamburgers and french fries? Also that like that is the Vatican's like, what are we going to do with these kids? We're going to feed them hamburgers and french fries. Such such an American thing to do, right? I know. Well, I guess pizza is the American thing to do, right? Like pizza party? Yeah. 
Yeah, pizzas. I feel like, well, for, I was going to say, I think my, I think my entire sophomore and most of my junior year of college, I did not eat any pizza because I was so tired of all the pizza parties <laughs> given to me in high school and my freshman year. Yeah. Um, but I think an American thing to do also, um, I'm wondering if maybe this is like an Italian cultural thing of like, oh, special treat. <laughs> right. Like this is what fries. the dumb Americans would <laughs> Like, we're honoring the American Pope, oh my God, who doesn't even eat anything aside from Cherry Coke Zero. As far as we know. And grapefruit. Yeah. Um, so, and like, also like a lovely moment with the two girls who are taking naps on the bench. Also, yeah. shout out to those icons. Like, I would do the same thing. <laughs> I love an art museum. And also the number of times when I've been in an art museum and there's one of like the comfy sitting rooms and I'm like... Nap would be really nice. This is like the perfect nap setting. It's a high number. Right. This reminded me, I will say, of two of my first trip to France in two different ways. One being um, the very first time I ever was in the Louvre. I was extremely jet lagged from our flight over to France. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so cranky. And um, my best <laughs> friend, Annika, was like, are, are you going to be okay? And I was like, Ani, I genuinely don't know. Um, we can go see the Mona Lisa. And then I think I might be done. Yeah. Um, we did later on go and look at a Polynesian exhibit because I was like, I don't think I can look at any more white people. Yeah. <laughs> and then later, um, a few days later, we went to the Musée d'Orsay and we did, um, it was on April Fool's Day, which in France they... Um, like it's like fish based. I don't know why. Okay. Um, I don't know. But in France also, let's remember that Easter eggs and chocolate are delivered by flying bells that have returned from Rome. So, and not rabbits. Um, you know, very Catholic. Right. Um, so we had run into like a class doing a similar thing where a museum docent was talking about Van Gogh to them. And they, we were listening in because one, she was talking to a bunch of presumably about fourth graders and we were like, okay, we can understand what she's saying. I did the same thing like in Russia when I, I mean, I went, I went to the Hermitage like almost every weekend. Um, and if like there was a group of children being led around, I would try to kind of follow around. Cause like my Russian was pretty good, but like I could catch a hundred percent of yeah. what was being said to the 10 year olds yes. of Russia, yeah. um, visiting. <laughs> and so they, the French children that we were kind of following were like, what the fuck are these two doing? <laughs> and so we eventually, I was carrying around a journal, um, the whole time, very writerly of me. Yes. And we ended up like ripping a page out and like leaving them secret. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving the children. Yes. I'm like, amazing. thanks for letting us listen in. You're American friends. <laughs> I'm sure that to this day there is a child in France <laughs> was who was like, American. what the hell is happening? Yeah. And maybe still has it. I But one can hope. Yes. So I thought um, of that moment um, in this time. Right. Um, and how like sometimes you really shouldn't be bringing 10 year olds to museums that they can't interact with. Yes. <laughs> Hence the nap. <laughs> Hence the nap. What would you like to say about Andrew Bird in this episode? So I don't know a lot about Andrew Bird, the artist, yeah. actually, but I do love the song um, Pulaski Comes at Night, and I think it's a really beautiful song and was kind of shocked that they used it because this show uses music in such a strange way. It does. Um, but I must, I believe it is a reference to infamous um, Polish soldier Kazimir Pulaski. Correct who also has a song written by Sufjan Stevens about him. I'm more familiar with that. Pulaski right, Casimir Pulaski Day. Yeah. Um, and so I um, thought it was really interesting 
that they chose to show, like, do all the lyrics about it, which yeah. is, like, about kind of being frustrated and um, kind of duality of natures, um, but also ultimately kind of a hopeful song. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I, I saw Andrew Bird once at okay. Red Rocks. Um, that makes sense to me. This is, this was, ex- this is a fucking time capsule like 2010 Colorado oh my god like imagine you know the band of the fray yes it's a Denver band obviously I did not know that yeah Denver band okay. like so I saw them a couple of times as they like made their meteoric rise um right. so much so that they could fucking sell out as headliners Red Rocks and have Andrew Bird opening for them at Red Rocks oh my god so I saw Andrew Bird open Andrew Bird and Rogue Wave open for uh <laughs> for the fray the are you even still together producing music? I have no idea. Spe- okay. Speaking of godly individuals, like that's like that's like god pop adjacent, right? Oh, like yeah. Christian rock adjacent. Oh, extremely strong. so. Yes. One thing that I discovered only upon doing some extremely light, let me emphasize extremely light research for this episode and the Andrew Birdness of it, is that the like plucky guitar violin theme that we figure that we hear over and over again throughout the entire season is a song from the EP that Pulaski at Night is on of Andrew Bird's. Oh my gosh. There's this like, it's just a minute and eight second long like piece that he wrote. And okay. so like, again, this is Wikipedia research. So like, uh, you, know, you know, salt. Yeah. Um, but apparently like he had, he says he had like Pulaski at Night like in his head for a really long time, didn't know what to do with it. So he made a bunch of instrumental pieces to surround it. So like Pulaski at Night comes in the middle of this EP mm. and our instrumental pieces before and after it and there's actually like a music video that is both logan's loop is the name of it okay. like the plucky violin guitar figure mm-hmm. that segues into pulaski at night that's so, so cool. like the entire season is soundtracked by andrew bird actually that's really cool yeah so okay fun facts this is a question that i had i think regan has an answer that shows i wasn't <laughs> paying enough attention to our god our true the one true god uh Chuba. um i raised the question of whether they were dying Chuba's hair a little bit grayer in this episode or at they least died, they started dying it grayer out. at the end of episode eight okay yes okay. yeah ultimately yes they've been they've been showing like his reaction and shock to andrew's death and to spencer's death yeah. through his hair graying prematurely Thank you. I mean, I guess maybe not prematurely. I guess you could start going gray at 47. Yeah. I mean, if if I had hair, it would be salt and peppery or gray. Yes, I I know because I see it blink at me a lot in the car. (laughs) (laughs) True. Um, True, true. I mean, I'm also, as you know, someone anxiously waiting to go gray. I do know that. Yeah. yeah. I've expressed that to you before. Um, One day. It took, I don't know. We'll see. I I would have to ask my mom when she started going gray. Yeah. should we shout out some of our favorite amusing moments from this episode? Yes, there's so many. Please. Um, every single moment with the kids, again, they're like, <laughs> what? I was kidding after he tells <laughs> the rain is God's tears because he's upset with the children. I know. Oh, my God. Which is also like an interesting, that sounds like something out of like a folktale, fairy tale, yeah. like pagan explanation, obviously not in the a Jesus context. Right, right. So no, it's I interesting think that that gets translated. It's, an, it's another instance of like Catholic appropriation of like, you know, what they would call pagan iconography. I don't know, because I've heard that in Sunday school and there's a joke about it in the show Dairy Girls. Okay. Where the character Orla um, says like, don't you think? 
but when it rains, it's Mary's tears to clear us out or something like that. <laughs> um, no, I think I've been told that rain is yeah. often representative of God's emotions. Yeah, I'm just saying that. Like I, the flood. Right, right, right. You know. That's true. Yeah, but yes, it is like a nonsensical that. thing. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed Lenny's baseline for the most boring shit possible being watching golf on TV. That was, <laughs> that was a really, really amusing joke. That was good. Yeah. Yes. Um, what about Girolamo? Girolamo's dining scarf. I refu- It's a bib. I refuse to call it a bib for anyone who's under over the age of five yeah. because they're adults. So it's a dining scarf. Yeah. But it says Tutti Lamare, <laughs> which I, I double-checked, and I'm um, only just starting my journey of learning Italian because um, Lucia has asked me to accompany her to visit her family next is, summer. Is that precisely the language that we'd use? Yes. Okay. Um, so I think it's a pun because... Uh-huh. If you were going to say um, seafood, I think it's I think it's a pun on like all the seafood because seafood, you would say either el pe- like pesce or frutti la mare. Um, but it says tutti, which means all this, literally all the sea. But I think it must be a pun of yeah. all the seafood. Yeah. And frankly, me too, Girolamo. <laughs> I would I would love to, you know, just enjoy some seafood with Girolamo, who yeah. is, has grown on me enormously. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about the papal bow? I have so many thoughts on this. Oh We're going to save some of them for hot, re- hot priest rating appropriately. Yes. But I just want to point out that I don't know if we want to say that, like, I'm assuming this is extra diegetic, but if it was diegetic, the idea of Pope Lenny working out on the papal bow flex <laughs> to fucking Bell and Sebastian just warms my cold ass fucking black heart. A Bell and Sebastian workout is like, give me that workout. Like, I don't need dance Maybe. music. I don't need you know, pop music. I need a Bell and Sebastian workout. Well, I guess, you know, you've got your next playlist assignment on Spotify. <laughs> it's a Bell and Sebastian workout playlist. <laughs> um, as someone who cannot function on a workout playlist without some 2010s pop. I don't know if I would do it, but I do enjoy Bell and Sebastian yeah. enormously. I've recently discovered the great workout music for me is Daft Punk. Oh, that checks out. That yeah. would also be... That's great. Yeah. yeah. I'm into that. Early Daft Punk in particular, actually, yes. is working yeah, for yeah. me. So. That makes sense. Time to go to potpourri. potpourri. There's actually a lot in potpourri. There's a lot in Which, potpourri. Independent of one another, we just started... Like colloquially calling for us Catholica, yes. which is amusing. Right. It's always parentheses as Catholic shit, but now we're <laughs> calling it Catholica. Yeah. So maybe we'll rename it when we do um, the, the new Pope. Great. We'll see. I like this is turned into when. When. If. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Anything could happen. That's true. Um, the comet that strikes down the statue of the Pope, uh, John, right. JP2 slash not JP2 could come for us. It's true. Um, so we kind of see this episode as being centered in some ways, um, or the finale being set around, yes. um, the impending sainthood of blessed, um, Juana. So she, um, is blessed, which means she's like, just has one more step to canonization. Okay. So I thought that was kind of nice that like the, that Lenny's moving forward with canonizing someone, um, you know, his predecessor clearly had determined that she was blessed. Yeah. And now this like Guatemalan priest, um, is advocating for her canonization, which I thought was great. Um, and also just to, bla- to to base something around, like, a youthful person. And yeah, I mean, a young woman from the Global South, right? Yeah. Um, who's not, necess- as far as we know, not doing, like, Mother Teresa. Yeah. Right. And is just, like, enjoying life in tangerines. Yeah. So good for her. I, I did want some tangerines when they started talking about that. Like, I did not have yeah. any, like, on hand. But I was very interested in, like, snacking on some tangerines in the moment. I, well, I was going to say, this episode made me realize that I hadn't eaten an orange in forever. Um... <laughs> It's been a great summer for me. All right. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely, like, just um, enjoying kind of this impending sainthood. Yeah. Um, 
And surely, so. like, as Pope giving a speech all about and filtered through and framed through you is a, you know, good sign that it's definitely it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So, um, but also so much rosary work in this yes, episode. Yes, please. Um, so I'm not a rosary prayer. I've never been into it, but I had, um, I had roommates in college that had their own rosary circle. Okay, great. Um, and they would go to various different rosary circles. So, um, was it like a location on campus that was not like a, no, no, it was like a, like a club. I okay. Guess. Um, so they, but like, would you like go out on the quad to like have rosary circle? <laughs> would you like go into, to like I a think, space of worship. I think would Monica, you like go into a classroom? Like would you go walk into Hopkins I, I will, 149? I will, I will explain. Okay. <laughs> um, so I think on so on Mondays, um, Elena and Monica would do it in their office. So my sophomore year of college, um, I lived in a house on campus called Nap House. And it had, I lived there with um, 17 other girls and a seeing eye dog. Okay. Um, and so the house had like a library that had like a little office in the back. And um, Elena and Monica shared a room um, with two other girls. They were in the quad room. And so there wasn't enough room for four desks. So there was the two desks in the office. And so that was kind of their space. Um, so they would do rosary on Monday nights together, and then occasionally maybe another one or two of the girls would join in. Um, I think there was always like a Wednesday. Wednesday, I think, is the traditional day to pray the rosary, Okay, um, if I recall. And so they would go do it um, with like the Catholic Life Club because we had one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly they um, planted a lot of uh, like dead baby protest signs in the lawn in front of the academic building. Um, many of them I still are my friends and have changed their opinions since then. So we're going to we're going to take it as a moment of growth. OK. Um, as, as creepy as it was. Yeah. Um, and then on Thursdays they would do something with, um, father, uh, father Jim, who was the priest at St. Thomas Aquinas church, which was not affiliated with the school necessarily, but next to us. Um, and he did something he called theology in the evenings where they would drink tea and talk theology. Okay. And then I think, I think. It, it was quite the club. I don't know. I was not a big fan of Father Jim. He was kind of weird. Okay. Um, he was not Father Stan. I, I trust your judgment. I stand Father Stan. Rest in peace. <laughs> don't know if Father Jim's still around. I don't know. Um, he gave us a weird talk about exorcisms once, and I was like, I don't know if I'm in on this man. I don't know if I'm here for it. Um, so they would go do theology and then pray the, pray the rosary with him. And so it's something that I think a lot of Catholics find... Um, really comforting it is essentially stimming because you're supposed to spin a bead or touch a bead um and go through a a variety of prayers on it i've made rosaries as crafts in sunday school um i have a collection of rosaries um because people just gifted me them as i grew up in the church um do do those live in michigan or in plattsburgh new york they live in Michigan. Um, there is one that I actually think is very beautiful because it's rainbow beads um, and like pastel rainbow. So okay. I could kind of get into that. Yeah. Um, so I part of and it was a gift to me from my great aunt Mercedes. Um, very Catholic name. Shouts Mercedes. And extremely Catholic. Extremely Catholic. Um, a lovely woman. Um, uh, so it was a gift from my great aunt for my communion or not. No, for my confirmation, I think. And so it's rainbow. And uh, I kind of want that because it's the gayest of them. Yeah. Um, I have one that's like shitty plastic. I have the rainbow beaded one. I think I have one. 
um, where some of the beads are pearls. Ooh. They're not fancy pearls, yeah. but um, and it's just like a, an object that I think in the material culture is really interesting. Like people are very devoted to them; they keep them in their pocket. I knew I had my math professor in college prayed the rosary five times a day, which is a commitment. So, um, just enjoyed like all the rosary stuff with Kurtwell do Kurtwell doing it. Clearly, they keep his mind off things, and then also with um, Oled. Oh, geez. Oza Lynch. There we go. I was about to call him by my classmate's last name. Um, Oza Lynch. So, like, I enjoyed that. It was the most, I think we've really seen of rosary work in uh, the show so far. I agree, and I like it because it, I think, calls our attention to how all of the discussion and then implicit questions about, like, custom rites, rituals, order play out in a, like, material embodied way. Mm, yeah. The rosary. Like, the stimming, I think, comparison is appropriate in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. Lenny has switched to red, mm-hmm. to a red hat, mm. which I don't know if you have a theological I don't. Catholic material culture answer to why that would be. I don't I, know. I don't know if like, is it a Christmassy thing? Because we're almost be. to Christmas. Is it like a sign that he's about to die sort of thing? Just a question that I had. We had all of the popes of Christmas past. We got Tommaso right. becomes a cardinal and yep. it's just like breaking the fuck down as, as it happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like good for Tommaso because he puts up with a lot of bullshit. Yeah, so much bullshit. So much bullshit. Yeah. He really wanted this. Yes. Like, this is and the I thing think he wanted it. most. Yeah. I mean, he was confessor for the whole Vatican. Like, yep. that's not an f- enjoyable thing. No. Oh, well, unless you like like knowing other people's secrets, which I do, obviously, as a gossip. Yes. I'll, I'll a gossip, uh, you know, potentially career change into therapist. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that might be something. I don't know if Tommaso chose to be the confessor of the entire yeah. Vatican or if it was assigned to him. Yeah, that's a good um, question. Great questions, but clearly someone who took a lot of pride in that job and 100%. and had to really be convinced to tell all the secrets to Lenny. Um, <laughs> good. But also lonely because he's the confessor. Yes, exactly. So, you know, kind of get, becoming a cardinal gives yeah. him some validation probably. Right, like therapist, a therapist needs their therapist and like the confessor of the Vatican like needs their confessor. Right. True. And then Lenny subsumed that role into himself and that's yes. fucked up. And yeah. Yeah. If Lenny were a better person, it would be a different situation. Fair. Fair. I think you're probably right about that. Like if Gutierrez were the Pope, <laughs> it would be a different situation. Yeah. Um, we learned about laundry practices at the Vatican. Again, it's like Lenny and Gutierrez like helping out with the domestic like reproductive labor of right. the Vatican. Hanging up the socks. On the yeah, clothespin on the clothesline. On the clothesline. Yep. Um, an interesting discussion of the Catholic relationship to the Russian Orthodox Church. Um, Lenny does not enjoy meeting with the Patriarch, uh, the Patriarch of, Moscow. of Moscow. Yeah. Um, which I think is interesting because I feel like as I knew my college roommate, Janine, um, was a devout Roman Catholic and ended up converting to, I think, some version of Eastern Orthodox um, because her husband became an Eastern Orthodox priest. But that was what he was raised in anyways because yeah. he was Chaldean. So I think kind of interesting because we don't hear very like Janine is the only person I know who who did that. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, I find myself in lots of Russian Orthodox spaces and like cathedrals, but also like small churches as right. well. Occasionally, when I was in Russia, so, right? Yeah. But like, I think an interesting way of comparing like like the universality of the Roman Catholic Church and how it actually like some people don't choose to practice that and would rather practice Eastern Orthodox or Western Orthodox. Yeah, that's a good point. There's less 
I mean, obviously it's a like less hegemonic power in the world, but there's not quite the claims to mm-hmm. like the entire earth. And the, right. And also like something that or maybe there is, and I don't know about it. Right. Well, and I was thinking also to like the relationship I've talked before in a different episode about like Italian folk magic and like kind of the folk magic that goes along with Catholicism yeah. sometimes, um, and how they kind of damn squash that away and they don't want to do yeah. it. It's the power of prayer. It's not folk magic. Um, which is how they managed to convert Ireland. Um, but I feel like when I think about the relationship that like Eastern Orthodoxy has to paganism, it's much friendlier yeah, and like more accepting of your own interpretation. Well, there's also, I mean, one of the things that's most striking having grow, having grown up like Catholic ish is just the amount of literal iconography mm. in the Russian Orthodox church. Yeah. Like, fucking beautiful stuff right mm-hmm. but like it is it is quite different in that sense yeah. and then i'm also reminded of i think this is something you pointed out very early on in our run this summer of you know one of the things that jp2 one of his claims to fame was like relationships with other religions particularly with islam right yep, um, islam and judaism and like here we have lenny you know and he's kind of alluded, bungling. Yeah, and he's alluded to like that he wants to close the church off and open it up to others. And right. here he's like just sitting there bored out of his fucking mind. But at least doing it. He's showing up. He's showing up barely. Barely. <laughs> Bartleby asked him. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Is it time for our final installment? Yeah. At least until we maybe we'll if slash when we'll see. We do new Pope. Where, Where in the in world is John's, John's confirmation name? name. Um, so I suggested three. three. I love it. Um, just to wrap us up. Yeah. So one being St. John the Baptist, who we've talked about before as like, um, Dunker extraordinaire. Dunker extraordinaire. (laughs) (laughs) You know, infamously, infamously (laughs) kind of ugly and a little dirty. Um, but patron saint of many things has a lot going on for him. St. John the Baptist, um, you know, in honor of. John's given name. Thank you. Um, so he is the patron saint of denominational festivals, solstices, and Freemasons. I see okay. the connection with the Freemasons, and maybe you are you saying I could be a Freemason? I I'm saying that you. I would not be surprised if you thought they were very interesting. They are very interesting, and I feel like 13 year old John would have been like, "That's kind of cool." I think about like 15 year old John. 15 year old John more okay. likely to choose okay. Freemasons. Okay. I'm I'm open to the possibility um, to St. John the Dunker. Okay. Yeah. The other one I threw out was um, the patron saint of um, politicians, um, which is St. Thomas More. Yeah. Um, JP2 um, canonized him in 2000 um, to be the patron saint of statesmen and politicians. Yeah. John is a political theorist. I don't, I think that's too niche. It's a little too niche, but I will say, like, I have never taught Sir Thomas More, but, like, definitely there are political theorists who teach Utopia by Moore and, like, a standard run of political theory or even in an intro to political theory class. Mm-hmm. I prefer to, like, engage the concept of Utopia through Ursula K. Le Guin and N.K. Jemison than through Fully Thomas More. that one. Um, but, like, it's a, it's a possibility within my profession for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other one I threw out because John is a union man, is Saint sure. Joseph, uh, Jesus' so father. Union swag in my office for sure. I'm looking at the We Are UUP <laughs> United for a Fair Contract yeah. bumper sticker. Absolutely. On your filing cabinet. Yeah. Um, so he is the patron saint of workers, um, specifically carpenters. Mm-hmm. Um, also married people. We know John yes, is yeah. really wants to be married. <laughs> Persons living in exile, the sick and the dying, um, also for a holy death, but like through workers' unions. All right. 
Um, I like I like Saint Joseph. Okay, this feels appropriate. I don't know if that's who I picked back in the day. Right, this feels appropriate for now. I know we've entertained a lot of like present twenty twenty three possibilities, right. but I think that Saint Joseph is like I don't identify with being a father or, or a married person mm-hmm. or some of the others, but like I don't know, workers and unions seems cool. Okay, yeah. All right. Well, we can we'll continue to postulate yeah. as we figure it out. <laughs> Look, we never solved the mis- we never solved this particular right. Do we want to talk about my why I chose my yes, saint's name? Okay. This, this is the time. Okay, so my uh, church name. <laughs> two hours in. <laughs> two hours in. Final episode. My church name is Regan Ann Saint Anne. Oh Mother, my God, Saint Anne, Mother of Mary. Levitt. I love it. I got the full title because that's just how my priest yeah. friend was. Okay. Um, that was an embarrassing day to sign into the book of being Catholic. Um, <laughs> Father I, who was the priest? Father Denny, okay. who I do love uh, dearly. Um, shout out Father Denny. He's, you know, cool. Cool with his um, Hawaiian shirts and love of Corona. All right. I support those as opposed to... He also had, things. like, great dogs growing up. Nice. Like... I loved his dog, Robbie, when I was little. Um, they were like little Toto dogs. Super cute. Um, loved Robbie. Was sad when the, when Robbie, the priest's dog, died. Um, so I picked St. Anne because I was bullshitting it Great. in some ways. Um, and was like, Anne's whatever. But it's come to mean things to me now. Ooh. Yes. Um, so St. Anne is the patron saint of the city of Detroit. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud of my Michigan heritage yeah. and Michigan raising. So it's come, it's come around yeah. to me. Um, so that means something to me now that I'm older, even though it really didn't mean anything to me then. God works in mysterious ways, Regan. What can I say? Jude Law doing his best <laughs> for me out there. <laughs> Speaking of. I think it's time for the hot priest rating. <laughs> the last hot priest the rating. The last hot priest rating. Yeah, I don't think. No offense, John Malkovich, but I don't think hot priest trading works for him. No, no. We'll have to come up with another substitute, if slash when. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, so I'm giving in his final episode a thoughtful, more um, patient Lenny, who's doing some weird dad jokes and goofing around. He's yeah. sticking around with Graham from okay. the holiday. All right. He did reach his peak. Um, so, um, I think that's a great way for him to wrap up his um, tenure as the Pope. Yes, yeah, he... F- Falls in his life and collapses, he ascends to confirmed grimness in yes. heaven slash this podcast. He did. I mean, he did hit Hot Priest from Fleabag. He did. He did. And then um, in episode eight, I think. Yeah. So eight, I think eight, nine, ten has been a two grams and a Hot Priest from Fleabag. So yep. Yep. quite the run. Quite the run. He's come a long way from, um, he did hit the low point of Gigolo Joe. <laughs> we, we remember that, yeah. Yep, that was a scary time. It sure was. Um, and I think the part of Hot Priest Rating this week is like, he's working on the papal delts and lats. Yes, and his papal <laughs> wife friends. With, also with his socks on. Yeah, the socks is a weird move. But I guess, you know, you can't... Maybe he was thinking ahead to, like, the time in which selling feet pics was very popular. <laughs> so maybe he's covering up the feet pics so Jude Law can yeah. uh, sell his own feet, feet pics. <laughs> yeah, that's um, the most plausible but yeah, explanation. I think it's a, but I think it's about the vibe that he's giving, which is someone yeah. who's a little more forgiving, a little more patient. Yeah, the vibe is absolutely different yeah. for Pope Lenny here in this episode. So... All right, it's our final cape of the summer. Oh man, here so we've we go. Got to pull out some Aquinas and like we're gonna go with pure inspiration. I have not even opened to a page yet. Okay. Um, so we're 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 pointing, and uh, I'm just gonna have to read the sentence. Okay. We are in Summa towards the end of the Summa two A two A E seventy eight. If someone were to expect or exact 
as though under a tacit or express agreement, repayment of a loan for loan of money in the form of some remuneration of service or words. This would be the same as expecting or exacting some material remuneration for monetary value can be assigned to both as is seen in the case of those who sell their labor by hand or by tongue. Aquinas Cave, like, he failed us on this last one. I disagree. Okay, please. So we talked earlier about how this show is a lot about work Uh and how we interact with work. We did just engage our friend St. Joseph. Right. And then also, this is the episode where we finally see some papal merch. Mm -hmm. And here he's talking Mm. about, like, the selling of objects and labor that goes into creating objects. All right. I'm going to say you salvaged it. Thank you. Yeah. 10 for 10. We're, 10 for 10. Yeah. Good. Aquinas, like, thank you for accompanying us throughout the entirety of this summer. Indeed. Um, never have I engaged with Thomas Aquinas as much as I have this summer. And, like, I'm a political theorist, so. I mean, I found it to be meaningful, interesting work for how, interpreting this show. Look, it's, I think, a, a fun gag to just, like, randomly point to some Aquinas every week. Um, but I, I did very much enjoy the, like, exercise of thinking about Aquinas in relation to the show. Mm-hmm. Like, thinking about your relationship to Thomas Aquinas. Right. Um, Strong relationship. And that, like, you just kept picking out bangers from from Tommy Aquinas. Doing what I can. Yeah. So From the, from the dumb ox himself. The famous question of not-quite-great books is, like, when we go down into the cave with a theorist... Do we leave the theorist in the cave or do we bring Mm -hmm. them back up to the surface, to the lake, to the sun, to the form of the good? So I think it's only fair that you, Regan Leva, get to determine the fate of St. Thomas Aquinas in this very extremely real podcast game. Right. I think we bring him back. I think we've seen, I I think we have seen how relevant he is still to interpreting a text. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Surprising myself, um, I agree with you. I think that if it were me and Danielle doing Aquinas, we'd be like, leave that motherfucker down in the cave. Um, but you have brought us to an enlightened state of being with regards I to think, Thomas Aquinas. I think that if there is a religious person out there to be like, okay, this is relevant to today, it's it's the dumb ox. Okay. He's, all right. He's, he's a wise guy. Does it mean it applies all the time? No, definitely not. But I think he still brings value to the world. All right. Aquinas, you get to frolic in yep. above above ground with the lake and the sun. Yep. Cool. We love that. Time for some theory ships. Um, we've got a couple of them to round things out. Yes. Kick um, us off. So I'm assigning some Proust to Wonderful. Lenny. I love this. So um, in a callback to episode yes. one, um, you know, everyone reads Everyone says they've read read Proust, but they actually haven't. Um, but Proust is known for his work with memory, and I think Lenny is having a some times with memory and remembering things and visualizing, and I think some Proust would enlighten him. Yeah. Um, I'm not an expert on Proust. I've never read Proust, actually. This was John's suggestion where I was like, who does memory work? But I have done the Proust questionnaire, which I think would make a great episode of Not Quite Great Books sometime. Okay. I'm just saying. Cool. If we need a breather episode. We're open to one-offs. So, yeah, yeah, we we love that. I support this. I once... I once saw a talk by Judy B, by Judith Butler, oh. um, at the grad center at CUNY, where I did grad school, and uh, Butler was talking about Proust. Nice. A Proust in masculinity and memory and time, and the subject. 
It was great. Classic Judy it. B. Very classic Judy B. All right. Um, I'm going to give some Aristotle to Lenny, like Nicomachean ethics. Like, I'm going to go very obvious here. He literally is like, you have to do the right things for the right reasons. Like, you have to have the right motivation, um, is what he tells Gutierrez. So, like, mm-hmm. of course, we're going to give him some Aristotle. I guess we'd give him some, like, contemporary virtue ethics. But, like, in the spirit of Aquinas, like, let's give him Aristotle. Okay. Um, my next theory ship is also an, ass- an assignment to Lenny. Um, although I think it could go also to Gutierrez. Okay. I'm assigning them some James G, um, who's a media theorist for the primary part. Um, but he talks specifically about this idea of affinity groups, um, which, as we know, in my study of fan fiction and how it relates to how we learn how to write, um, people seek out groups to write with. Um, I you know, think a lot about the beta reader community that I was okay. um, came of age in. And so I think that um, Lenny is finally seeing a group that he can be comfortable in, um, seeking out Gutierrez to be his personal secretary um, of someone who can give him good feedback. Uh, Gutierrez also is coming into his own in this episode. Yeah. um, And also has found his place in the Vatican where he can actually do a lot more good than being master of ceremonies. All right. I love this. I also love that um, in a, you know, Inadvertently, I have followed the wisdom of Regan Levitt and James G, and that I now only write stuff with other people and have given <laughs> up on publishing solo. Right. So I'd like to call that a win, a theory ship uh, in absentia for me. Okay. I'll offer some Agamben to Gutierrez. Okay. In addition to Hot Confessor Summer, this has been Agamben Summer for Danielle and yes, I. Yes, yes. As we have worked on our fucking weird-ass Loki Agamben chapter for Politics of the MCU with Friends of the Pod, uh, Lily Gordon and Nick Carnes. And, like, Gutierrez, much like Lenny gave a, like, literal virtue ethics light sort of thing. Okay. Um, we're going to give a couple different pieces of Agamben to Gutierrez. Gutierrez is talking about, like, when is it an exception? Okay, like, the rule and the exception is literally mm-hmm. part of his conversation with Lenny about homosexuality. And, like, if you're talking about the exception, like, we got to talk about, you know, homo soccer, and we've got to talk about a state of exception from Agamben. Mm-hmm. But also, like, Agamben is so interested in, um, like... In the early church, he's so interested in, uh, like, the letter to the Romans. He's so interested in temporality and messianism and religion. Like, I think we can give a lot of different Gutierrez, a lot of different Agamben to Gutierrez. And I'd be interested to know Bernardo's thoughts. Mm. All right. All right. Regan, we did it. We did it. Ten episodes later. Here we are. Yeah. So Friendship's I'm, still intact, if not stronger than ever. I, I mean, look, this summer, like, we've done, we've gone to so many concerts. We've been to Montreal <laughs> a number of times. We, we've survived Montreal rush hour traffic. Barely. <laughs> we have podcasts about the young Pope for approximately 7,000 hours. Yes. We did it. We did it. Um, We're going to celebrate with next Monday being on a boat. That's right. Hopefully the weather better hold up. People's health better hold up. I really hope we get to do this boat day. Me too. Yeah. It's kind of our last chance. If it doesn't happen Monday, I think it's not happening. I think you're right. So we thank, of course, Danielle. We thank, of course, producer Amy. But I also like to thank you, Regan, for embarking on this priestly journey with me. And uh, like being totally game for it and like being a great friend generally and including a great friend on this podcast. So I'm deeply appreciative of that and of you 
voyaging through the young pope with me together well thank you i um want to thank you also um for inviting me um i've had a blast it's been great yeah. um as you know one of my life goals to be on a podcast um yeah. now fully fulfilled great co-hosted absolutely um, look no one no one else like has we have a lot of regulars we have folks who come on to, for one-offs like people who've come off one off every season but like no one has quite reached the status of co-hosting an entire show I'm over honored. the whole season so that's a, that is a, indeed a special commemoration truly of not quite great books um so and just um you know thank you for thinking of me letting me pat out my CV a little bit sure um and then also um just being a lovely friend yeah. who and who I think we've you know got a new take on a show that you love yes I've learned a lot about this show through talking about it with you so well, I thank you. also am appreciative of that all right. All right. We hope, listeners, that you too have have enjoyed this journey. Um, you know, lots of mysteries, lots of God, lots of jokes about the Catholic Church, lots of Jude Law. Shockingly, so much underwear. So much, so much papal underwear. And with that, thank you for joining us on Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. It was created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon, and indirectly, producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some racquetball.